Christmas episode of the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff on uh, what is today Christmas Eve in the United States and around the world, I guess, depends on when you get this podcast. And uh, yeah, we're recording this a little bit early because we'll be out doing holiday stuff, but we are both back home in Colorado, so we're in the same room for the first time in a little bit. So that's nice. Back in the uh, basement again. Back in the basement again. I can see your posters. I see your King Kong poster, your Persona Shrine. We just played some Super Smash Brothers and some Dragon Ball on your nice TV. Uh-huh. So that was fun. I get to be envious of that. You know, it's a it good time. Very, it's a very good TV. It's a very good TV. It was a lot of fun to play some video games. How you been, Sean? I've been pretty good. We've, we've been on break for a couple of days now from when we were recording this podcast, and it has been nice. I've played a lot of, hit, a lot of Hitman. I've a played lot a lot of Smash Brothers and some other games. We'll talk about all that. Uh, I'm currently, you know, working hard on my top ten games of the year list, mm-hmm. which will be next week's episode. Um, I have my ten nailed down. Do you, Sean? No. Okay. Because I I should stop playing Hitman Two and play a couple of other games, but I can't stop playing Hitman because I'm done playing Hitman Two. Hitman Two. But they put Hitman 1 in Hitman 2, and so I've been playing some <laughs> Hitman 1 in Hitman 2. I'm like, this is stupid. I should pl- I can play this whenever. I should play something else, but it is very hard to not yes. play Hitman for me. Well, in the spirit of the season, we're going to do a couple of different uh, holiday-related topics today, including one that is a complete surprise to all the listeners and to Sean. Yes. So that'll be later. It will be a surprise review of something. You'll see. It's going to be good. Then, uh, let's see. We have a piece of Christmas listener mail. I should check if we have any other listener mail. But we're going to do that. We're going to talk about some video games. That's not holiday related or anything, but we're going to do that. And we're just going to take it easy and have a fun time. And hopefully this is something that you can listen to, you know, if your family is annoying you or something. And that should be fun, right? Yes, I'm excited. Okay, let's do it. Uh, Sean, first off, I got you a present in the spirit of the season. Okay. So here's your Christmas present. Jonathan has just handed me a bag. That has a thing in it that is wrapped in some paper very loosely. Very loosely. Oh, it is another issue of Spider-Man. Yes. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 80. I've, I read this issue uh, digitally, not what has been like three or four months ago. Yes, I got it for you waterfront. because of the cover. It's good. It's a phenomenal cover. I thought this would be a good one to like put on the wall or something. Yes. And you should describe what's on the cover. I mean, so it's uh, J. Jonah Jameson... Image big on the left, and then his girlfriend at the time, now wife, Marla Madison, on the right, with flames in the background, and then in the foreground, um, there's there's Spider-Man beating up some thugs, but and and up on the top right of the image, it says "Hero of the People" inside of like a police shield, um, obviously referring to the spectacular J. Jonah Jameson, as the cover says at the top. Awesome. Yeah, so I had to get this one for you because I was looking around in the comic shop 
And I was just basically because I know I'm not going to be able to like get you, you know, the one where Gwen Stacy dies or something, yes, right? Yeah. So I'm looking for a good cover because ultimately, if you're going to have one in print, you want a good cover. And mm-hmm. this one looks like the poster for like Casablanca, or no, it looks like the poster for Gone with the Wind. Yes. But with J. Jonah Jameson, and he's chomping on the cigar and everything. It's pretty great. Yeah, I think I might have actually talked about this issue on the podcast after I read it. That's crazy. Yes, I cover the waterfront. So this is the one that is from J. Jonah's perspective. And he goes and decides, I'm going to... Because Marla Madison, my this girl I'm hot on, thinks I'm weak shit now, I'm going to prove that I can still be this rough and tumble journalist and go cover this whole... I think it's like a drug operation or something on the waterfront. And the whole time Spider-Man is in the background, like actually secretly taking care of the business while, while Jameson thinks that he's doing everything the right way. So this is a great issue. Thank you very much. It's not just a great cover. It's a great issue also. That's good. See, because I don't know anything about these, but uh, I'm glad I I inadvertently got you an issue you really like. Yes. That's good. It is Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man issue number 80. So, is Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man different than the Spectacular Spider-Man? No. They just, when they first launched the line, they called it Peter Parker, comma, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Okay. Eventually, they just shortened it down to the Spectacular Spider-Man because they launched another line of comics in, like, the 90s, I think, called Peter Parker, hyphen, Spider-Man. Interesting. Okay. Because when I was at the comic shop, there was both Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man, and I had no idea what the difference was. It's... It's supremely confusing. Yes. So, I mean, Spider-Man is a confusing one to shop for because he's got so many different lines. And there, if this comic shop is alphabetizing, which luckily this one just put it all under Spider-Man, then you could have Amazing Spider-Man in a totally different place than Spectacular Spider-Man, then Ultimate Spider-Man, then Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, then Marvel Knights Spider-Man and the untold web of Spider-Man. It's like fucking, there's so many. But I feel like this is a podcast tradition now, is every... Once in a while when we see each other, I bring you a Spider-Man comic. Because they are a... Uh, again, because I am not buying you like the one where Gwen Stacy dies, they're a very cheap way to yes. brighten uh, everyone's day. And and I like the tradition of just picking the one that has the silliest cover. It's good. Yes. I think it's a good way to... For me, who knows nothing about... It, it has led me well so far. Because it this has. is a good issue. Yes, this is a good issue. I enjoy the Spider-Mobile one that you got yeah. last time when the Tinkerer takes over the Spider-Mobile. It's, that's a good one. I mean, if the, if the villain is named the Tinkerer, that's already pretty good. Yes. All right. So anyway, that's our Christmas present round. Then, let's see. Sean, we have results of our poll. We uh, did a poll last week to see what movie series you guys want us to review in the new year. We will be starting this probably in January or February when we get to do our next. Although, who the fuck knows? There's too many games coming out. But when we next make time for it, we will be doing... Drum roll. Don't don't hit the table. I'm not going to hit the table. We are going to be doing... The Lord of the Rings trilogy, it won the poll with 55% of the vote, so a very decisive vote. Um, Dark Knight trilogy came in second with 23%. All 26 Zatoichi movies got more of the vote than I thought. Got a solid 13%. And uh, the Sergio Leone Dollars trilogy only got 9%, so that's not happening anytime soon. But we're definitely doing Lord of the Rings. Are you excited for that, Sean? I'm excited for that. I'm I'm disappointed that Zatoichi... (laughs) I I... Thought about putting my vote in for Zatoichi, but I thought that that would be immoral. Okay. So I I refrained from doing that. No one would have known. I'm glad that Zatoichi got any votes. Yes. Um, And I feel like maybe the way it was presented in the poll 
meant that saying that all 26 Zatoichi movies instead of saying select number of Zatoichi movies well, maybe, maybe next, skewed the results. I well, don't know. Well, next time we do this, after we do Lord of the Rings, we can adjust the poll parameters. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, now the question is, are we Lord of the Rings, are we doing theatrical or extended? It's extended because I don't have theatrical versions okay. of, of Return of the King. I think I have theatrical DVDs of the first two movies. Interesting. Okay. We will probably we will do the extended cuts then. I might, on my own, also watch the theatrical cuts just to like be able to be the nerd on the podcast being like, that's what they added and that's what they didn't and this is how they're different. But... Because it's been forever since I've watched those versions. Yes, it has been a very long time. But yeah, I... Since the movie theater, since I saw The Return of the King one, I can tell you that much. I have to say, I'm glad that won the poll, though, because uh, I've been wanting to rewatch those movies. It's been a while. I think it'll be... I think it's it feels like the right thing to do in the line we've been doing of Star Wars, Spider-Man. Because yeah. I, I feel like they, they... Not that, like, the Lord of the Rings movies are in need of critical reevaluation the same way, but I do feel like that, obviously, we went through the whole thing with The Hobbit a few yeah. years ago... And it's like, well, maybe we need to go watch the good stuff and reorient ourselves. I mean, it does feel like we're kind of doing, like, ignoring the original trilogy of Star Wars. Because the, cause that cause that Star Wars project started out as the prequel movies. Yeah. And then we enjoyed it so much, we eventually extended it to the original movies. What we're really doing is, like, going to the late 90s and early 2000s and looking at the most important movies to us from those that period. We are, yes. And reevaluating them. So it, it is, I do feel like it follows naturally in that line. Yeah, I don't know what else would be another trilogy from there. This might be the last one from that specific period, unless we do the X-Men trilogy, which we're not going to do. No. Um, yeah. Because those movies are obsolete, yes. we might say. All right, so Sean, what else have we got? Um, okay, I have a piece of listener mail. Okay. So this will lead to our first mini topic here, because Anthony on Twitter asked what my favorite Christmas movie was, or our okay. favorite Christmas movies. I don't know if you, do you have any? I'm not a huge Christmas movie person. The one thing... I, well, I, I won't say what I was going to say. I want to hear your list first. Okay. Yes. Because I have not watched Christmas movies actively in a couple of years. I just haven't been in the mood usually around Christmas. Um, because honestly, frequently when it's around Christmas, I'm, I'm either catching up on movies for top ten time. And that's obviously... That means I'm not doing Christmas movies. Or it's just like I finished a semester of school with film stuff and I'm just feeling like I don't want to watch movies. So yeah. it's been a while, but I do have a good experience with Christmas movies. So I'm going to talk about a couple of these. I made a very impromptu list. And by this, I mean 10 minutes before I left for your house, Sean, I banged this list out. Great. And I have my 10 favorite Christmas movies and five worst Christmas movies. Okay. Yeah. So let's start with the favorites. Uh, so I'll just count down on this. Number 10, uh, I am very annoyed by how much Twitter likes to argue these days over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay, that's the thing I was going to to bring up. Okay, it's the stupidest fucking argument. If it's a Christmas movie to you, fine. If it's not, fine. But shut the ever-loving fuck up about it. We've been litigating this for so long and people get so weirdly offended by it. And it just doesn't matter. So even though Die Hard would be one of my favorite movies set on Christmas, it's not on this list. It's lost its position because of annoying people, and I have replaced it with a movie that I think also needs to be rehabilitated as a Christmas movie because it is more of a Christmas movie, and I've got Batman Returns, Tim Burton's second Batman movie, takes place entirely on Christmas. It starts with Batman strapping a bomb wrapped in a gift-like box to a thug's chest and then blowing him up. It's really grisly. It's crazy. You've got the fucking Penguin. You've got Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken. You've got Catwoman, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. It's just an awesome movie. It's the best Tim Burton Batman movie. It's just one of my favorite Batman things. 
And I think it's a pretty cheerful, not at all dour Christmas movie. Okay, interesting choice. Yeah, yeah so that's my number ten. Yes, because the thing I was going to say that I didn't want to say because I didn't know if you had, if you were, because I don't think we ever talked about the Die Hard Christmas movie thing. I don't think, not, not on the podcast. Yeah, no. I mean, us as people. I'm not sure yeah. that's ever come up. And I'm glad that we're both in agreement. It's fucking stupid. Yes. I don't give a shit. The like, I don't care if you consider Die Hard a Christmas movie personally and you put it on a, like, I don't, I don't care. The only thing I hate is whenever someone does the thing of like, because this has happened to me on the internet, and it's also happened to me in personal life multiple times, of somebody like, oh, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And only ask that question to then fish, because you, they, you say whatever, Nightmare Before Christmas, I don't fucking know. That's a different argument. Um, and then, but they only ask you that because they can say, oh, my favorite is Die Hard, because Die Hard's a totally Christmas movie. And that's their fucking interesting thing about them as a human being, is that they think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And I hate those people. I know. I Because I remember when this started to be a joke like 10 years ago. And yeah. now it's like so mainstream. But people still think it's like subversive in some way. And it's not. So that's why I went with Batman Returns. Okay, I will choose Fuck to it. respect that choice. Number nine is Mickey's Christmas Carol. These are not okay. all feature length films I should say. Okay. But Mickey's Christmas Carol. It's one of four Christmas Carols I have on this list. It's a good Christmas Carol. Um, it's like 25 minutes long and somehow really does justice to the Charles Dickens book. It's like remarkably faithful. It has the scariest version of the Scrooge sees his own gravestone scene. Do you remember that, Sean, in this? Yes. Version? Yes. It's fucked up. Oh my up. god, yes. Yeah, it's traumatizing. It's also Scrooge McDuck, his first appearance in animation, which is awesome. Um... It was not his first appearance as a character. Uncle Scrooge was a comic book character for many years before this. But it was his first time in animation with that wonderful Scottish voice. And so Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, it's got a warm place in our hearts. Number eight, our next version of A Christmas Carol is Scrooged with Bill Murray. How can you go wrong with this? I don't think I've seen this. You haven't seen this? You should nope. see this. It's a very funny movie. It's uh, got one of the best transformations at the end. Like when Bill Murray's version of Scrooge like has his awakening Bill Murray just plays it so joyously. It's it's very fun. It's a very silly movie. It's a little uneven, but I do like this one a lot. Number seven, I put Elf with Will Ferrell. You know, it's a new classic. It's I mean, at this point, it's pretty old. It's like 15 years old, which makes me feel yeah. old. But uh, it's one of the only movies from the 2000s that is about Christmas that is actually fairly good. And so I like Elf. Everyone likes Elf. I like that this is like one of the few things from the last 20 years of cinema that's just non-controversial. People like Elf. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a decent movie. Uh, number six, I put Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know if this is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie, but it's got the word Christmas in the title. That's one of the two times of year it makes makes sense to watch it. And I was kind of trying to weigh this because like, as a Christmas movie, I probably don't like it as much as these other movies. But as a movie movie, I like it more than some of these movies, so I put it smack in the middle of the list. I think that's fair. I think I'm with you that, for me, people have their arguments about is it a Halloween movie, is it a Christmas movie, and I say, why not both? Yeah. I think it's probably more of a Halloween movie. If like you have it on the scales, but it's you know the big song sequence is in Christmas Town. Yeah, yeah. Santa's can, in. I, it. There's. I just don't think that Halloween movie and Christmas movie is mutually exclusive. See exactly. any number of different low budget, care terrible slasher movies that feature an evil Santa that murders people. That's a go. fucking Christmas movie and a Halloween movie. Come there, on. There you go. All right. Uh, number five. I've got Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, the original. With uh, that wonderful Santa played by, I think his name is Ed Gwynn. It's just a great mm-hmm, Santa yeah. Claus. It's a great old black and white movie. So it's, it's a very fun little movie, and I've always loved that one. You get Natalie Wood in there as the kid. It's a good movie. Number four, I put the Doctor Who Christmas Carol. 
Uh, so no, this is actually, we have five Christmas carols on this list. <laughs> so number four is the Doctor Who Christmas Carol. This is the Stephen Moffat, Stephen Moffat's first Christmas special with yes. Matt Smith. And you have uh, Michael Gambon in there. And it is just one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes. Definitely the best Doctor Who Christmas special, I yeah. think. That or maybe one of the later ones with Peter Capaldi. Those are pretty good, too. But this one is so good. It's a great version of A Christmas Carol. You get Matt Smith coming down the chimney and doing lots of silly stuff. It's got the great conversation about um, what do men do? We say, Mommy, what is that whole like joke? I really I, ruined the joke. I, you put me on the spot with on that the spot. one. Because okay. I know exactly the joke. Yeah. Now, what, do, what do men do in the face of danger? Say mommy. Yes, that's the joke. Okay. Yeah, at least paraphrasing it. It's funnier when Matt Smith does it. Yes. Not when we do it. Uh, again, this is a very impromptu best of list. Um, all right. Number three is A Christmas Carol from 1984. This is the one with George C. Scott. I think it was a TV movie, but it's really cool. George C. Scott, wonderful Ebenezer Scrooge. This is the best, like, straight up Christmas Carol adaptation I've seen. It's just, it is the Dickens book. It's very good. It's very faithful. It's got all the language in there. And then it's also got George C. Scott being one of the best Ebenezer Scrooges. Just a very, very good, faithful version of that film. Uh, number two is It's a Wonderful Life, which here's the other hipster thing I don't like. Is people being like, hey, only the end of It's a Wonderful Life happens on Christmas. The rest of it is about a guy. What, what the fuck does it matter? It's watched every year at Christmas for a reason. It's got, it's something resonates there. Like, I agree, it can be watched at other times of the year and studied. It's one of the great American movies. It's one of the great Jimmy Stewart performances. But, like, the, the climax of the movie where this guy, like, redeems his life is standing around a Christmas tree with all his friends and family. What the hell is wrong with you? That you're like, Die Hard's a Christmas movie because more of it takes place at Christmas than It's a Wonderful Life because it's only last... Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I've, it's I, I don't I've never encountered those people in real life at the very least, so it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, as the Die Hard thing does, but it is. It's a Wonderful Life is like, not only is it a Christmas movie, it's it's the Christmas movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like the epitome of Christmas movies. It's a great movie. Okay, number one is the Muppet Christmas Carol, which is my favorite version of a Christmas Carol and my favorite Christmas movie. It's just a great film. It's a great Muppet movie. You've got Michael Caine in there as Scrooge. And I feel like this movie has been getting, like, a reevaluation over the last couple of years as people who maybe grew up with it now, like, have Twitter and stuff mm-hmm. and are pointing out, like, Michael Caine is giving this, like, 100%. He's in a silly movie with Muppets and he's doing one of the most, like, serious, devoted Ebenezer Scrooge performances. It's really an amazing film. It's a great musical. It's got great music. Disney has sadly never released in, like, proper widescreen the complete version of the film with the sad song in the middle and one day i hope they will do that but for now i've got my version i've cobbled together uh with the entire movie in there and it's a good film and muppet christmas carol it's it's the one i try to make time for every year because i do love it cool all right now let's shit on some movies sean okay all right these are my bottom five again with all of this if i had more than 10 minutes to think about it i could probably make better lists but i still think this is pretty good so we're least worst to most worst number five okay. Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. I've never seen that. It's, it's the direct-to-video sequel to Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, I remember being okay. You know, it was hand-animated. It had some fun little stories in there. There was like a version of Gift of the Magi with Mickey and Minnie. It was totally fine. Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. I, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure if I've actually seen it. 
Okay. But, okay. but it came out when I, in like the year 2001 when I was like a kid and it would have been on VHS. And I remember being disappointed in this movie, whether it was because I actually watched it and it was terrible or because like I saw the cover art or something. And in this one, Mickey and all his friends were in CGI, like bad early 2000s CG, which mm. in Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, it was just normal hand animation. Mickey should not be in CGI. That's fucked up. Unless it's like a video game, you can get away with it. But like no one wants to see that. It was bad. I don't really remember it, but I'm just... I'm guessing that if I did actually watch it, it would probably be on this list. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. I think that's well, It's a bold choice to put a movie that you don't know if you've seen, but your reasoning is convincing to me. Yeah. Number four is The Grinch, either of the theatrical versions. The animated short is great. Yes. We all love that one. The movies. Now, I one of these I have not seen, but I know it's bad. The new one with Benedict Cumberbatch. You just you see the trailer, you know that is a terrible fucking movie. It's Illumination Entertainment. They are chemically incapable of making things that are, you know, vaguely interesting. So, like, it's awful. But I have seen the Jim Carrey one. That's a really bad movie. The Jim Carrey one, also, almost, though, it has been so shit on over the years, I kind of feel bad for it. Yeah. Because it's definitely bad. I don't know if it's as bad as its reputation is. Like, it's not good enough that I want to actively defend it. But, you know, Jim Carrey gave it his all. And I, I, the thing I appreciate about that movie is that it is very weird. Like, it is it's very not, weird. It's, it's not like what I imagine the new Grinch movie is and looks like from the trailers. That it's just the blandest, most stock fucking animated movie ever yeah. made. Like, the, that Jim Carrey Grinch movie, not great. But it, it went for something strange. And I will always appreciate that. Yeah, I think it earned its spot on this list out of ambition. Yes, there you go. Whereas the other Grinch earned its spot on the list out of laziness. Exactly. Yes. All right, number three is the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause. Never seen this. Yeah, I remember. So the Santa Claus movies, if you don't know, because they're... Because I don't, because I don't. (laughs) Okay, these are the ones with Tim Allen, where he plays the guy who kills Santa accidentally. Oh, okay, And then he becomes Santa. The original Santa Claus is okay. It's a decent little movie. It's a, like, 90s Disney film. You know, creative idea. It's fine. This is... The clause is a pun because yes. it's like the clause in like a legal document. That's it's a, right. It's okay. clause with an e at the end. Yes. yes, yes. When you say it, I don't recognize it. When I read it, oh, that's the dumb Tin Allen one. Yes. Yeah, and it's it, these are the movies where he also like his lead elf is extremely Jewish, which has always been just a slightly odd. Like, mm-hmm. not that there can't be. a I mean, I don't know. Can there be a Jewish Jewish Christmas elf? This gets into some weird religious it's, space. That's. I don't think that's for us to decide, Jonathan. Okay. Maybe he's more culturally Jewish. I don't know. But anyway, that was always a thing in those movies that I realized when I got older is like that's that's like they really coded this character very Jewish in this in this in Santa's workshop. Um, yeah, so you have that. Uh, those movies like the first one's fine, the second one is lazy, but whatever. The third one, all I remember is being dragged to this by my family when it came out in like 2006 or whatever, and it is the most boring fucking piece of shit. Like it has stuck with me out of sheer Boredom, which a lot of movies don't. This is a movie that, like, the end of it is like an It's a Wonderful Life thing where there's a character who's supposed to be Jack Frost, played by Martin Short, who I normally love, but he's annoying as shit in this movie, who, like, erases the Tim Allen character from existence and, like, he sees his family if he wasn't there. Interesting idea for the movie, except this is, like, an 80-minute movie and that's the last 20 minutes. Mm. And the first hour is just random antics at the workshop it feels like the most direct-to-video made-for-TV thing ever. It's like a Disney Channel movie that escapes to theaters. And, uh, yeah, I just... I will never forgive it. It was... Not that it... Not that its potential was high, but it was bad. I will, I will take your word for it, and I will avoid Santa Claus 3. Yeah. Uh, number two. 
I just wrote all the shitty Christmas movies I had to go review over the years for various publications, like Christmas with the Cranks, also with Tim Allen, or Surviving Christmas, the movie with Ben Affleck and James Gandolfini, where he pretends he's James Gandolfini's son, I think. Like, he, he's rich, and he pays them to be in their family, and then their daughter comes home, and she's played by, like, Christina Applegate, I think. I hate that I remember all this. And huh. and and then they kind of fall in love, even though he's an ass. It's a it's a weird movie. It was a bad movie. I had to review that one. Or Four Christmases. That's the one with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Another one. I'm honestly not sure if I actually saw it, but fuck it, I know it's bad. Or another one. I had to review Fred Claus. That's with Vince Vaughn and Paul Giamatti. That one's actually okay. That that one is because I actually very recently looked up the scene from Fred Claus. There's one scene in that movie where Paul Giamatti, Santa Claus, and then Kevin Spacey. You know. Kevin Spacey's side. The before Kevin, times. Yes, the before times where Kevin Spacey is the villain and Paul Giamatti confronts him and has this whole speech about the Superman cape that he would have that, that the Kevin Spacey character wanted as a kid, but Santa Claus didn't give him give it to him because he was on the naughty list. And it's like people should look up the scene. It sucks because it's not on YouTube anymore because I just had this weird fancy of remembering it like three weeks ago and wanting to find it. And not being on YouTube anymore, and then having to, I think I went on Daily Motion or some fucking place and found it. People should look up that scene. It is so good in a movie that you should not watch. The movie is like, eh? It's not horrible. It's like a three out of five movie. Yeah, but if the words Paul Giamatti plays Santa Claus makes you interested, just watch that scene yes, and you'll I mean, get everything you want from that. That's what I want, is I want the Fred Claus spinoff that's just about... The, the one we care about, about Paul Giamatti as yeah. Santa. I think you could do a very good movie out of that. Uh, but it, I think it belongs on this list of like... We've kind of stopped making these, I feel like. But you would get these like... Just very warmed over bad Christmas movies every year. Yeah, And like, these, that's like, why Elf was so cool when it came out. Was That was John Favreau and Will Ferrell doing something new and cool. Yeah, it was just... Yeah, I agree. It doesn't seem like they really come out that much anymore, but you just had these like really vapid comedies that would come yeah. out every fucking year that would star a Tim Allen. Yeah. And it was just like, why did these movies even oh, exist? Other fun fact about the movie Surviving Christmas is that movie flopped really hard in part because they put it out in like October. So they, they were too early with it. And it flopped so hard that like this would not be weird now, but back then it was it took longer for movies to come out on DVD and tape. You know, like this, this would have also been on tape. That movie was in theaters in October, bombed hard enough that it was on DVD by December. Which, like, again, today that's not crazy, but back in like 2003, that was nuts. So, anyway, I just remember that. And uh, James Gandolfini, you know, he had better things going on with the, uh, with the Sopranos, so it did not ruin his career or anything. But, uh, yeah. And Ben Affleck, that's probably one of the reasons people hate him. All right. And then my number one worst Christmas movie. I forgot this movie even took place on Christmas until the Wikipedia list I was looking at told me it did. Uh-huh. This is Meet Me in St. Louis. It's, it's a musical I hate. This is the one. You haven't heard of this? Okay. This no. is a beloved. You, you probably told me about this yeah. when you were taking that musical class. Yeah. This is a sacred cow that I'm taking aim at here. Because this is like, this is a vid, uh, Vincenzi, Vincenzi, some something Minnelli movie. Okay, Vincenzo Minnelli. I don't know. I, I you don't, don't know. know. I don't, don't look know. at me. Yeah, I, did, I don't have a fucking degree yes. in that shit. Who? So it's it's the Mr. Minnelli movie. He was one of the main directors of musicals at MGM. I fucking hate his whole style. It's bad. Uh, Mimi in St. Louis is the one where Judy Garland, who later married Mr. Minnelli, that's why. Uh, Liza Minnelli, his her daughter is named Liza Minnelli. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, but yes. Um, 
she was his because he was gay and she was his like sham beard marriage for like two years and they had the daughter and then she got out of that one but anyway this is a judy garland musical a couple years after wizard of oz it's about a family in st louis who are affluent and obnoxious and they might have to move to a different affluent house in a different affluent city because their father got a different affluent job and all these affluent white people are so sad about having to meet leave fucking St. Louis and the end of the movie is their last Christmas together in their house but of course it's not because the father actually gets to stay at the end but anyway this is where the song Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is from it's from oh, this yeah, movie right. and Judy Garland sings it it's probably that's probably the best scene in the movie because Judy Garland is if you cut out all the other stuff and just put a camera on her, she's an amazing singer and performer. But I hate everything else in this movie so much. There's an annoying little kid who they do songs with. and Fucking annoying as hell. All these people are just... like It is a movie of rich people whining about having things. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, we might have all this privilege somewhere else. It's not like the father lost his job and they're moving to a trailer park. Like, it's... It's such a vapid movie. The musical numbers are so bad. It is the gaudiest Technicolor. I hate looking at it. And it counts as a Christmas movie. They're like the, one of the most famous Christmas songs is from this movie. So I say, it's the worst. Fuck it. I don't want to watch it. I'd watch Christmas with the Cranks again before I'd watch this. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I will not try to make you watch what is it called? Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. The, the lyrics to the song Meet Me in St. Louis are so awful. I just hate it. I hate the whole thing. So there you go. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, those are my favorite and least favorite Christmas movies. This was, uh, this was probably too elaborate, but there you go. Well, well, while you were delivering all of that, I thought of a couple of things. One, okay. Doctor Who Christmas Carol. Yes, I agree with that choice. Um, the Grinch animated special. Love that. The This is my third one. This is one nobody knows about. Over here, probably, um, and it's not technically a Christmas movie. It's not set during Christmas, and is in a culture where Christmas is nowhere near as important as it is to us. But it's a Japanese anime movie called *The Disappearance of Suzumiya Haruhi*. Um, that is a two-hour animated film that is at the end of a two-season-long anime show. Um, that is an adaptation of like a like ten novel long light novel series. So you can't with me saying that this is a really good movie doesn't mean that people can go watch the movie because it will be absolute nonsense if you didn't watch the TV show first. The TV show's very good. They should watch it. But it's a really good movie that is set during winter. And the snow and winter and, like, the malaise of winter um, plays a huge part in the role of the film. And the film is all about the main character, Kion, who's a very sort of, like, cynical um, high school, uh, like, teenage boy that just, like, kind of has no... He, he can't bring himself to have joy in his life because he's too, like, disaffected by everything. And he finally has to, at the end of the movie, confront his own bullshit and decide, no, like, I, I should try... Like, I should try to have fun. It's like, I should try to get out there. And it has... Again, it's not, it's not set during Christmas. I don't think the word Christmas ever comes up. But it has a very Christmas kind of moral to it. And it's just a beautiful film. So if you ever want to watch that show, you should also watch that movie because it's very Well, cool. in the spirit of, of a, a Japanese Christmas, you could get that movie and a bucket of KFC yes. and watch it on Christmas Eve. And also get some Christmas cake and your girlfriend over and do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then they might like knit you a muffler or whatever Chie does in Persona yeah. 4. Yeah. Her fluffy muffler. Yes. <laughs> yes that's what it was. Fluffy muffler. Uh, yeah. The, the KFC joke, by the way, that is an actual... People always think I'm joking when I tell them this. Yeah, it's no. one of the weirder cultural traditions. But yes, KFC, uh, yeah, our Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas in Japan is very big. 
And no one can adequately explain to me why. Well, I mean, the KFC is a very large company with a lot of money and power. And Christmas was a holiday and an event that had no foothold in Japan yet. And so while like the interest in American culture in Japan made them more interested in Christmas, KFC saw... KFC, whoever fucking ran that campaign... Goddamn genius. They saw an opening there like, we're going to market the shit out of this and make it like make people associate Christmas and KFC. And so now it's just associated. It is like a tradition for some families it in is, Japan. It is genuinely probably the smartest thing any American fast food chain has ever done anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, because KFC will be bankrupt and dead in America and it will still be a vital part of the Japanese economy in like 2030. Yeah. I mean, just imagine it this way. Imagine if you had full consumerist capitalist version of America come into being without having had the tr- like religious and cultural <laughs> tradition that preceded it. That's basically what happened in Japan. And so it, when you look at it that way, it makes perfect sense to me. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is an amazing thing. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move on, Sean. My next section on the outline is just games and stuff. So okay. getting away from the Christmas theme for a little bit, um, unless we've been playing a Christmas game that we didn't tell each other about. Um, we have games that we can talk about. Like, we've just played some Smash Bros, so I'm interested to hear if you have any thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, I've been playing more of the Persona dancing games because people have been asking about that. So I've yeah. been mainlining more of the English version of Persona 3 Dancing All Night or Dancing Moon Night. And uh, I'm enjoying that. But have you played any new games since last time? New games? No. Okay. No. Um, and, and I I had an opportunity for this podcast to play the Christmas-themed level in Hitman 2. But it's just the Christmas-themed level from Hitman 1. So I did not do that again yet. And you have talked about that on the show in the past. Yes, so. yes. Go back probably two years and, and you can listen to me talking about how I unlocked Santa 47. Is the new elusive target out in Hitman 2 yet? It came out today. Ooh, yes, God, I, doing, have not, I have not looked at it yet. Doing that when I get home, mm-hmm. that'll be a story for next week. Exactly. Anyway, I have played a few new games, Sean, for my year-end catch-up. Um, one of them, I'm not quite done yet, and I'm going to wait on. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Return of the Obra Dinn. Okay. Is that okay? Or are you going to play that? I am going to play that, yes. Okay. I might, I might hold off on it until next week because okay. it'll be somewhere. I don't know if it'll be on the list, honorable mentions, but we'll probably talk about it. I'll just say Return of the Obra Dinn, if you haven't played it, it's the new game by Lucas Pope yes. who made Papers, Please. I've been very excited to play it because I'm a huge Papers, Please fan. Uh, it's on PC and Mac right now. It's a really interesting game. I'm not loving it to the degree other critics are. And it's, it's probably not going to be on like my main top ten list. Um, I find it a little... like. A little colder and more sterile than I tend to uh, with games I love. Um, but it is like, I guess I, I'm not going to get into it, I think, because you're still going to play it and I yeah. kind of want to have the conversation. And I'm curious to see your thoughts on it. It's a really interesting cerebral exercise. It's got an amazing visual style. It's definitely singular and I've not quite seen anything like it. I don't feel the same maybe hook to it that I did with like a Papers, Please or something. Not that it's completely fair to compare it to the developer's only other game. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely worth your attention. Like if you're seeing that out there, I would say it's, it's definitely worth a look because it is, uh, there's nothing I could compare it to. It's, it's so different and weird. Uh, but that is the one new game I've been playing. Uh, and I've got another one, but I'm just trying to catch up on like the last couple on my list that... You know, like, I'm not going to get to Assassin's Creed Odyssey because <laughs> I would not be able to do that in a week. But games that are smaller that I can do in a couple of days, I've been doing a couple of those. Um, and that's one of those. But let's go ahead and talk about games we have been playing, Sean. Okay. Let's start with Super Smash Brothers. Yes. Because you and I just played it together. I've been still playing a ton of that. I have all the characters unlocked now. 
I am about 10 hours into World of Light, and I've, probably, I've put in probably 40 hours into the game itself, because now I'm at home and my brother and I are playing it a lot. We've been doing a lot of online co-op, which is really fun, mm. where you just form a team on your local Switch console, and you fight someone else on, who has two people on their console, and we've been trying to like strategize, and we actually got pretty good. Our team um, that we're using now is Krom and Link. And we do that because they're both sword fighters, so they can do a lot of damage, but Link can do a lot of ranged stuff. Yeah. So if Link is far away, he can do range, whereas Krom is really powerful close up, and it's been working for us pretty well. We beat a lot of people with that. Um, our team of Pichu and Isabel went down in flames and just did not work, because those are great, maybe, characters to use on your own, on your own Switch, but when you go online and you don't quite know what you're doing, you get your ass kicked. So anyway, uh, I'm enjoying that. Uh, I'm still loving World of Light. One thing I never talked about with World of Light that I love that they do is that on the overworld that you, the map you go across, you know, it's got a lot of themed areas and they always match. This is how crazy the amount of stuff in Smash Bros is, is that they can make like a cool like temple area in World of Light on the overworld. And then every time you do a fight, they have so many maps that involve temples or parts of maps. Because some maps like travel or something, and they'll have you just play on the part, they'll have it stop on the part with the temple, you know? Mm -hmm. And you'll be playing on a temple, and it feels like you're going through a world that, like, if you didn't know where all these maps were from, you would think, oh, they just made this so that it looks like the overworld. Kind of like in Fire Emblem, you know, you're on an overworld and it zooms in and it's like, oh, now I'm in a grassy, you know, patch or something because that's what it looked like on the topography. And that's so cool. Like I was doing one the other day where it brings you to a big race track and this is where you unlock Captain Falcon. And it's got all the F-Zero tracks and the Mario Kart tracks and you're doing a big race-themed area. Um, I think World of Light is really neat and I'm enjoying that and I, I hope to put in more time to it, um, especially once I wrap up my, my top ten list and I can just kind of play whatever I want. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm loving it. But Sean, we just got to play. We played a bunch of matches together. Yep. We fought. We teamed up. Took up some computer players. We did. We, we did one utterly insane match, which was us as a team versus three other teams of two CPUs for eight players total on the Sonic the Hedgehog maps, which are not very big. No, and it, was, it was utter insanity. We lost. We lost. It was utter insanity. Yeah, we uh, we beat the computers the other times we did it. Yeah, but no, it was it was insanity. So you got to play a bunch of the new characters. You have not played Smash since Brawl. Yes. Um, well, I played I played a couple of rounds of four like intermittently with other people because I never had a Wii U, so that was the only way I, or a 3DS. So that's the only way I played it. But yes, basically the last time I played it was Brawl. But the last time I seriously played it was Melee a very long time ago. Yes. Well, how did it feel to you? It It is still Super Smash Brothers. Yes. I, with the first thing we, I did was we, we played and I picked Link and we were on, you picked the uh, Hyrule Castle level from the original Smash Brothers that has like the little tornado that pops up and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I kicked your ass and it felt great. I was like, I can still, I can still do it as Link. They changed up some of his B moves, um, but his A moves all basically work the same way they did before. So his side smash still does the two slashes. He can still do the like the Zelda two down A thing where he kind of pogo sticks you with the sword. Um, and so that felt good. I was like, yeah, I can still I can still do Link, and that's awesome. Yeah, yes. Um, other than that, yeah, it is like the it it, it is impressive to me how much it does like retain the feel of that like original game and then particularly melee that obviously added like changed the most it feels like um because it's hard because that's the one that added the side b move and stuff like that that changed up some core stuff and so yeah if you ever played smash brothers melee and and had any affinity for that game you can just pick up smash brothers ultimate and go into it immediately which is something that is not necessarily as easy 
as if you like played a lot of Street Fighter 2 and then you just pick up Street Fighter 5, there's more of a learning curve there. Yeah, and actually I think it's I think it works better for that than Brawl or Smash 4 did, hmm. which both are a little further from Melee. Like this one is a little just it's faster, it's tighter, it it feels like it has the same kind of overall polish and sheen to it that Melee did. Um I mean much more so than that, obviously because it's many years later and they've differentiated the characters a little more. But yeah, it was fun to, you know, I've really only played it competitively versus online people and my brother. So it was fun to play with you uh, and play with someone new. And yeah, we played a bunch of the different characters and stages and we did the stage morph thing, which is crazy. We both got killed by the stage morph a couple times because that happens. Yeah, the stage morph is weird because it's it's not like a smooth transition. It's like the stage glows white and like evaporates and the new stage comes in and it's very easy for depending on which stage you're on for that to just kill you of me. So like the one that I was like really shocked by was when we transitioned into the... Uh, view stage from Street Fighter 2 which has like a it's like a big large platform on the right a gap in the middle and then a smaller wooden platform on the left and but in the background there's like a whole mountain kind of area that you can see and so when the stage was morphing it looked like oh there's a whole big mountain back there I'm sure I'll just be able to land as like it just kind of looked like there's going to be something there and it's like oh no there's a giant gap and I just sank right through so it's definitely that. That's one of those things where, like, if you are playing very seriously and competitively, you probably yeah. would not want to do the stage morph because it's extremely confusing. Um, because that is still that's true, still true of Smash Brothers. That is like the thing it's always been like is you can. It is really fun and exciting as a more competitive fighting esque type of game. Obviously, it's not the same kind of fighting game as a Street Fighter or Dragon Ball Fighters or something, but it evokes something like that of like the one to one like head on competition kind of stuff. And that can still be a ton of fun. And then also, if you with all the items, it can just be utter chaos and complete horseshit. And and that was the experience of it. like not in a bad way necessarily because it is like very entertaining. But just seeing like okay, Pokemon like the thing I was maybe most surprised by is the new Pokemon stay on the map for like thirty seconds. Like, oh yeah, they... old Pokemon you'd throw them out and they'd be there for like like Snorlax would do his thing. Chance he would shoot out some eggs. You know, it's like they do like one attack. Maybe they do the attack. A couple of times, and it would be if a Pokemon stayed for a while, like Charizard or I think like Starmie, they were like they kind of hung around for a little bit longer. That felt special. Every new Pokemon that like was by new Pokemon, I defined Pokemon that I didn't recognize. They just stayed on the map forever. It's like, did you just get another partner? It's just like did a third person just drop into this game because this fucking dog thing with a fucking light horn is just sticking around. Yes, and the assist trophies are even more extreme in that regard. Okay, yeah, because the mode we played, you had turned the assist yes. trophies off, so I didn't see those. Yeah, but of course, the great thing about Smash Bros. and Ultimate is really accommodating to this. Is like play it however the hell you want. Yeah, you can. It's got a really nice like the first thing you see when you go into a match is it has your pre-made rule sets, and you can make as many as you want. You can custom title them you can it's like halo 3 or something where you just go in and just adjust whatever the hell you want and and make it your smash and it's there and when you go online you can use preferred rules which isn't perfect but it will get you there's no perfect way to do that i don't think with all the different rule sets and i think it's a nice like mid-ground solution um so you know it it works and yeah it's it's a lot of fun i also have to say i've talked about how good this game looks but you have a much nicer tv than i do because you have like what is that 50 inches Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a big TV. I do not... My TV's like 40 inches, and yours is also 4K. And Smash looked real good blown up to that size and resolution. And, like, it's so colorful. Yeah, a lot of the stages in particular really pop. Like, that, uh, the Street Fighter 2 stage, even if... I was very annoyed by that stage morph thing. Once we were actually in there, it's like, oh, this fucking looks awesome. Like, it's a really... Because it looks like the 
stage from Street Fighter 2, but it's, you know, beautiful and HD and, yeah. and, and all that. Well, and, like, all the old stages from, like, Melee that they've brought yeah. back. I talked about this last time, that they've really done a number on them in terms of upgrading the textures. Yeah, because we played on a lot of older stages. Like I said, the first one we did was the Link's Castle from, uh, or Zelda's Castle from yeah. uh, the first game. And they do not look like they were just ported over. Like, they look as good as the other maps. Yeah, I mean, if you're new to Smash Brothers, I don't know if you'd have any way of telling what's a new map or an old map. The only yeah. one where they've kind of kept it looking low-res is the N64 stages, because I think you kind of want them to have that sheen. Yeah, when, well, like, and there's only... Like, it, they are very plain because yes. they were plain back then, and you couldn't change... If you changed that up, it would change the map itself. It, it would, exactly. So that's really cool. They're just so fun to play on. Um, you know, and it was kind of funny because I realized, like, Sean, you were doing some of the new characters, and then I realized, well, wait, but for Sean, if, if you kind of skipped over Smash 4... There's a lot of new characters to you. Yeah, and especially like, like with the DLC characters, which I had never played as any of those. Yeah, so like you got to play as Cloud and Ryu and things like that. And then there's all the stages that were added. And that's the thing is that Smash Ultimate might not have as many new characters or stages as some of the other Smash Bros. games have. But you got to remember that I think the, a lot of people buying this game missed the last one. Yeah. Because literally, if you look at the sales numbers, Nintendo has been putting out sales numbers... In the first three days, worldwide, Smash Ultimate sold 5 million copies. Yeah. Which is nuts. That is also as much as the Wii U game sold lifetime, which means we're two weeks in now. The game has easily sold more than Wii U. It's going to outsell 3DS. It's going to outsell every other Smash Bros. game, which means there's a lot of people who are brand new to this one. And, like, what a feature-rich game, especially if you're kind of new to it, you yeah. know? I will say, though, as, as a slight counterpoint for that, this obviously is, like, personal to me but a lot of those characters are fire emblem characters that i didn't give a fuck about so like when i was looking for like new characters to play i was like oh there's gonna be so many and i was like well a lot of this that's a lot of fire emblem characters there's only seven fire emblem characters there are more pokemon than there that's, are fire emblem that's, characters. okay yeah because that was the other thing is just like pokemon that i don't know that like if i owned the game i would obviously play them and be yeah. like oh this is cool but when i just have like a little I get bit it. of time yeah well I'm, like, i'll jump in there as richter because Rondo Blood is fucking awesome. It is. There are two kinds of Smash Bros. fans. The ones who are baffled by the Fire Emblem characters and the ones who fucking love the Fire Emblem characters. I get the bafflement because it is still... It has become a much bigger Nintendo series, but it is not Mario or Pokemon yet. Yeah. Right? And, and the Fire Emblem characters or the Fire Emblem games that I played are not represented right. by the characters that you can play as. Yes. But as someone who has played most of the North American Fire Emblem games and really fucking loves them... I love those characters. They they are genuinely like a different class of characters than a lot of the other ones in the game in terms of like their sword play is very different than Link's sword play, which is different than Cloud's, which is different than Shulk's. Um, I really love all the Fire Emblem characters, but I do get it because like I remember when Melee came out and none of us knew who Martha Roy was and it was cool. And if it weren't for Melee, we wouldn't have Fire Emblem over here and the series might be dead over across the world. So thank God for Smash Brothers. Yeah. But it is, it's it's cool uh, for me to have them there, but I, I do get the, I get the sentiment. Yeah, it's <laughs> Just, it's the thing of where you know it just depends on who you are and like where your background yeah. is and like so it's like it's like a lot of the characters that are new are not ones that like I have a particular affinity for yeah but like I will say the one that I did is Simon slash Richter and I played Richter because Rondo Blood is fucking amazing. Um, people, if you have not played Rondo Blood, you should play Rondo Blood. I got the version for PS4. It's really cool. It's yeah, that game, that game, and the fucking music in that game is incredible. Um, and and Richter is a really cool character of the. New characters I had never played before. That was the one I had the most fun with. He's very Link-esque in terms of 
Um, his sort of move set of that he's got a lot of good melee stuff, but then all of his B moves are more ranged. Um, so he has like the. I was a little bit disappointed that the Holy White Water doesn't do like the wave and like kind of go forward. It's like because that has depending on which Castlevania game you play. I don't remember which one Rondo Blood was. They either it's a little fire that stays in place, which is what is in Smash Brothers, or it goes forward. Um, but he has like the glaive, and he has the the axe and all that. And the glaive is basically just Link's boomerang because that's what it is in Castlevania. And so, yeah, that I was very pleased that I could just pick up Richter and be like, okay, yeah, I can play this dude. Compared to when I played as, like, Mega Man or the Splatoon Inkling, I had no idea what the fuck. Like, I was, particularly the Inkling, which it makes sense that that's a very, like, weird specialty character. There's, like, all the, like, how the ink system worked for that character did not make, was not intuitive to me. Yeah, some of them you have to get to know. Like, Mega Man, I've gotten to know more, and it's very rewarding to me. But, yeah, I, I've realized, too, as I've been playing this one, especially since Smash 4 came out, I... I don't just know, but I love most of the franchises represented in Smash Bros. these days. Like, probably more than the average player. Because, like, I play actively all of the Mario games and all of the Zelda games and all the Fire Emblems and all of the Metroids. And, like, the only series in there that I really don't know well is, like, Earthbound. Right. And, and there's a good reason for that, because most yeah. of those games did not come over here. Yeah, I, I don't know Earthbound well. I don't know... Uh, God, I don't even know what the other ones would be. Like, like I've, I've never played a lot of Street Fighter, but I know Street Fighter, so it's like, I, yeah. I don't know if it even really matters. Like, Mega Man, I'm not super into the Mega Man games, but I don't know how you can be into video gaming and not think Mega Man is cool, you yeah. know? So, which I think is one of the ways they've done good franchise extension in Smash Brothers is they tend to pick characters like, I'm not huge into Castlevania, but I know who Simon and Richter are, and I think they're awesome. You don't yeah. have to have played all of those games to know that. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's some more Smash Brothers talk. What else do we want to talk about, Sean? Do you want to talk about any more Hitman Two adventures? Um, I, I am. I have level twenty mastery everything in Hitman Two. I've done a bunch of um, Silent Assassin suit only kind of stuff, and those are fun. I did the one. I did one on Columbia that I think, without like deliberately trying to do it the same way that you did it, I think I did it almost the exact same way that you did it when you told that story on the podcast. Ooh, can I? Does this mean I can now tell my story of how I got Silent Assassin suit only in the suburban one? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, good yeah. because. This is the one where I did it. The, what's that map called? It's um, Whittleton Creek, I think. Whittleton yeah. Creek, yeah. So Whittleton Creek is the one in the suburbs. It's one of the most unique Hitman maps in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah, and I love that they're... Because you say it's set in the American suburbs, but it's like I keep on wanting to say it's set in the American suburbs in the 1950s, even though it's not... Like, it's totally set contemporary times the way that... Because obviously Hitman, he's not, he doesn't fucking time travel. But they just said, fuck it. Like, you're just in the neighborhood from, like, Leave it to Beaver or something. You know? It's, like, so of that period. And Sean... It's so great. Sean, now I want a Hitman game where he time travels. Yeah, well... Oh, maybe, my God. Maybe that'll be season three. That, that's like the, the Hitman you, Assassin's Creed crossover. Where can you imagine if, like, Diana's, like... Number 47, or Agent 47, we have a time machine now. Yeah. And, like, he starts, like, he's in a fucking, like, feudal castle and has to go around like that. And it's, like, the Time Warrior in Doctor Who. That'd yeah. be great. Oh, my God, I want this now. He's like, that is Julius Caesar. Yes. Like, <laughs> first Emperor, or, no, he wasn't the first Emperor of Rome, but it's, like, Destroyer of the Republic of Rome, Conqueror of Gaul. You have to do you have to do it in such a way that it looks like someone else stabbed Julius Caesar. Yeah, but, but I mean that would be one of the mission stories is like you you persuade Cassius and Brutus and the other guys to go and assassinate <laughs> Caesar. And you go out to stab it's like at two forty seven. 
I think this is. I think I hope someone from IO Interactive is listening to this. You know, if Hitman goes on long enough, eventually that's where they'll be, they'll run out of modern locations, and it's like you'll have to go to ancient Roman shit. Yeah, and then you've got to have one in space where he's on like the fucking International Space Station. They've got to do that at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost surprised that they have not done that. I, like, I thought that maybe that will because that seems like it would be hard to do a full mission like that. But that would be a good like here's your like tutorial for the next one, like the beach mission on Hitman Two. <laughs> You're on the International Space Station. and Everything. There's no gravity, and that'd be awesome. Okay, anyway, so Whittleton Creek. I, so this is a unique map because it's got a lot of little buildings, which are the houses, that are their own kind of contained spaces. You know? Yeah, it's their... basically like a block in yeah. a neighborhood. Like it, it's, like they're, it's like a three-by-three three grid of like houses. And each of those houses has their own kind of patterns to recognize and things to do, but you have two people you need to kill, the old man and the security guy. Yeah. So I start with the security guy, and I get into his house. I get into the garage, which is pretty easy to do, suit only. You just kind of distract people enough, and you get into the garage and close the garage. Yeah. And what I realize is that no one opens the garage. No one opens the garage and goes in there, and no one will come into the garage unless you make them come into the garage. So the first thing I did was, so I realized that into the main kitchen area, the guard guy will come in every so often on his route and he'll check in on things, right? But it's swarming with guards. I could never go in there suit only. But I could turn on the little generator and just start drawing people in there. And so I drew someone in there, you know, choked him out, put his body in the freezer, drew another guy in there, choked him out, drew his body in the freezer. It was just a pile of weapons on the floor at this point. But now I'm out of spaces to hold the bodies. But I'm like... I don't think anyone's coming in here. So, I got every guard in that house into that fucking thing. Or I would, once I had enough people out, I could kind of go in and sneak around and then just drag their bodies out. And I just had, that garage was just strewn with unconscious bodies. And then finally, all that's left is the guy I needed to kill. And I just went up to him, slit his throat, brought him into the garage, and I left his body on the stairs. And that was it. And then I left and like, somehow that worked. Nice. Now, it's, I'm describing it, it sounds easy. It took a, quite a bit of like maneuvering and experimenting to get this to work just right. The next one was even harder because the old guy is more heavily fortified. He has a yeah. similar pattern, um, but there are more people there and you have to be a little more careful. But what I wound up doing is uh, I got enough people out into the, into the garage and just their body strewn there, right? Because it's the same kind of thing. The garage, kitchen pattern yeah, is the same. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about that neighborhood is that it's, you know, it's a suburban neighborhood and so most of the houses are designed with basically the same layout, yes. which I like. But, like, the, the content of the rooms is different. Yeah. But the general frame is the same. So the old guy with Janice, I remember his name because yeah. he's important to the very bad story of Hitman 2. Um, but anyway, Janice will come in and... He has enough guards and stuff who will not come to the garage that I couldn't just do it the same way. But there's a thing there. He's like little tea maker. And you can make him a glass of tea, poison it with one of the poison frogs you get in the grass. Because you don't have to look too far for poison in that level because there's poison frogs. That I would, I would get enough of the guards out, run into the room very quickly, make him his tea, put the poison frog in it, go back around. Um, because what I needed to do was poison him... In such a way that no one was going to see him die. But then I could grab him, get him out into the garage, and then just leave the neighborhood. And it worked, and I got it. But I love that I was able to do that by just getting a, just probably 20 guards at some point into these two garages. And eventually they're all going to wake up, see their dead boss lying there, and be like, what the fuck happened to us? It's, uh, it's fun. I love that that worked. Yeah, yeah. It's, that map is awesome. It's got... Because it, it is, it's so different in that sense of like... It was one of my favorite first playthroughs of a map was on that one and on the last map where there's just like 
for for the that neighborhood there's just a sense of oh there's like it's it's like you have because because any structure like any building you can go into in hitman that that the target is in is like a little level unto the larger level right it's like a little clock with its own hands moving and you have to learn the patterns and yeah and so because the way that most hitman maps are designed is you have one two three targets however many targets and each one is in a different location that's usually they're in a building in that location and that building is its whole own little hitman level um, that is almost like it's almost like a closed system. Once you're in there, it's like the people, the guards that are in here. These are like this is like the stuff I need to take care of. And the thing that's cool about that map is that there's like nine of those. Um, two of them that have the target in them, but then there's a bunch of like there's one that has the I don't know if you you did all the stuff with the lady that has the like kill the murder room in her basement with like the no oven. I didn't find oh this. there's there's an evil lady in that fucking neighborhood that's friends with Janice. Um, oh and, man, I have to go home and do this. Yeah, there's some fucked up shit in her house. And there's just like a lot of little cool secrets and and it was just I had such a fun time going in and like I'm just gonna explore every single house before I before I do anything, before I go get these targets, I'm gonna go to all the other houses and just see what's there and just pick up fucking wrenches and and go and there's I love there's a like I've never quite figured out what his deal is, but there's one house that's having like a barbecue party, and in the upstairs rooms of that house, there's a server who's like wants to who's supposed to serve the food at the party. And he just is, like, shy or something? I don't know what his deal is. But he just isn't going down there. And every time you go into a room that he's in, he's like, oh, sorry, man. I'll just get out of your way. And then he goes to a different room. And you can just keep on following him. And he'll just keep on going to different rooms until you knock him out and take his clothes. And then serve, uh, you know, the bodyguard guy fucking, like, poison hamburger or whatever. Um, which is what I did. Nice. But, yeah, that map's awesome. But I... I have fallen in love with the last level of this uh, this pack of Hitman 2, Hitman Season 2, whatever you want to call it. Um, that it's set... For people who don't want this stuff spoiled, skip ahead. Um, but I think the game's been out long enough. We can just talk about The last level is set on... It's on the Isle of Scale. It's like a very Celtic-looking um, name. And it's basically this giant fucking castle... That is housing this secret party of what is called the Ark Society. It's an eyes wide shut party without the sex. You basically, yeah, because because it, it is a mask party and all that stuff. Um, and the the thing that I love, one of the things I love about it is that it's it's a hitman level that is filled with all like basically it feels like every single NPC in that level would be a target in another level of hitman because the <laughs> Ark Society is a society of extremely rich, privileged, like wealthy individuals. Um, who have formed together to form a to form a secret group that is sort of Illuminati esque in that they you know it's a lot of like people who own like large energy conglomerates and that kind of stuff and there's a whole like subplot in that map about how that they have been funding anti global warming stuff of like oh we're or like anti like the myth of global warming right so it's like trying to make the society think that global warming isn't real and that's where all their money is going which is something that is actually real i don't know if there's a secret like society that goes to like sex clubs that do that but there are people that put all their money into funding that actual shit um and so it's all those kinds of people um and the whole setup is that they're they they form together to try to come up with different ways to basically like survive the apocalypse because they know that the end of the human race is coming whether from like nuclear war or from global warming like like or an asteroid or whatever so they're all working on and funding different projects that are like you know elon musk-esque like oh we're going to go into space and everyone thinks it's like oh it's going to be great it's like it's only going to be the rich assholes and everybody else is going to die on earth 
Um, and that's basically what the Ark Society is. This is just a bunch of like fucking Elon Musks. And so there's something supremely satisfying as Hitman to go into that map. And it, and it is almost Colorado-esque from Hitman 1 of feeling like, I can kind of just kill anybody in this map and I don't feel bad about it. Like, yeah. like if I'm on Whittleton Creek... I, I'm not going to shoot the mailman. Like, that guy doesn't... That guy's never done anything. He's just a nice, like, kindly mailman that lives in this weird 1950s American suburb. Like, he's, he seems totally cool. He might be racist. I don't know. But I, he seems fine. Everybody. Like, I don't care who you are. Everybody in that castle fucking deserves to get got. They deserve to get got as much as anybody does in Hitman. And so there's... That I, that element of the map, I just love. Have you done an all-murder run through that map yet? That was my first run on the map, was I did the, the mission story, which has you... Um, one of one of Because you, you have those two targets, the Washington sisters, one of whom um, you can kill by... She gives like a whole speech in front of this big like ceremonial thing um, that you set on fire... And she's because she gets inside this big like ceremonial cage looking thing, and you set it on fire. And it's supposed to have a trap door in the back that she can just get out and escape. And it's this whole like symbolic thing about like burning the past or whatever the fuck it is. Um, but of course, you can sneak below and like fuck with the hydraulics so that the trap door never triggers. And so she just burns alive in there while all the people standing there are just clapping and going, "Woo, yeah!" Because they're like, "Yes, like the Ark Society, we're so amazing." And meanwhile, like the head of the chairman of the Ark Society is fucking burning alive in there. And that's great. That's a great feeling, just walking up and setting her on fire. Um, and then the second one though was the one where I um, got up to the penthouse. And in the penthouse, there are two suits of knight armor. Um, and if you're wearing the armor, like, it, you can't duck and you can't sneak, basically, at all. But you have way more health while you're wearing it. And then there's a giant fucking, like, claymore in there, you know, like, Braveheart-style, just giant two-handed sword. And I was like, you know what? At this point, I think Agent 47 is kind of done with this bullshit. I don't know. I, I'm not trying to get out of here sneaky. And I just grabbed that fucking sword and I went to town, and I, it it was like an hour and a half, like of like with that to the time clock, because I just murdered so many people. Because because I went basically what I did is I went from the penthouse, which is at the very top of the, the back of the map, and went all the way down and went back out to from the entrance point, like the boat that you come in on. I went off on again, so I went all the way through the map and then came back out wearing night armor with a fucking sword and just murdered everybody, and it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. I gotta do that. Yeah. That yes, because good. there is actually, there is a challenge for killing, I think it's all the elite guards while wearing a suit of armor. So they totally like, they're like in, which is like 25 characters. So like they are encouraging, like that is, that is a run through of that level that they want you to do is to put on the night armor and just murder people with a big sword. That's amazing. Yes. That's so amazing. All right. Nice. Well, yeah, I, I was a little surprised. I had I told you this off the air, Sean. I had no idea there were only five maps in Hitman 2. So when I got to the end of Isle of Scalil and I skipped through the cutscene because they're awful and incomprehensible and I really don't know what happened there. Um, but then I was like, I'm so excited. I'm like, now I get to play that level from the Sniper Assassin mode and I'm going to get to do the full level where you get to go into the big ball. Oh, this is just the Sniper Assassin mode. I sh it's not the game's fault. Yeah. It didn't lie to me. I probably should have looked into it, but I thought there were six levels because there were in the last one. 
and there's only five, and that's yeah. okay. Well, there's five plus the tutorial map, which is yeah. like five and a half or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they are very big and good levels, so it's okay. Yeah. They're, other than Willison Creek, which is probably about the size of the Colorado map from Hitman Season 1, basically all the maps of this are bigger than the maps from Season yes. 1. What, here is a question, though. And again, yeah. I want to be clear. This does not take away from my enjoyment of the game, because the game is the game, and it's a different thing. This is not a game where the story matters. Why are the cutscenes so monstrously bad in Hitman 2? Like, what happened? They don't have as much of a budget as big as a team this time. Like, yeah. I think that's what happened. Yeah, because they, they... Like, I think what they should have done is if they couldn't do the full CG animated cutscenes... Because like, the Hitman 1 cutscenes... Like, we talked about this when we talked about Hitman 1. Like, the story is whatever. Like, yeah. I, I like it for the vibe. It has, I like, like the story in the levels. Yes the, yes, the writing in the levels is great. But, like, the connective material between them is, like... I don't care. Like, I don't even... I, like, I legitimately don't want it to be good because I just want it to give, like, cool spy movie vibe. That's all I yeah. need from it. Um, but, like, it's worse than Hitman 2. It gets it so convoluted. And it, like, it, it genuinely, even when I... Because I, I was skipping them by the end because they just... Even when I watched them, they made no sense. It's not just a budget thing. It also feels like the writing just, like... They crapped it out in an afternoon on a series of post-it notes. Like it's well, because it's also it's just more involved than the Hitman season one, right? Because like the yeah. the story of Hitman season one is there is a secret guy who is like secretly putting out these contracts, and it's not the person we thought it was. That is that is literally the entire story of Hitman season one. Yeah. That's that story does not develop from. The, from Paris to the end. The only thing that changes is that the characters find out that there is a secret guy that you, that's like Luke, like Lucas whatever is it Lucas Gray I think his name is um, who becomes a character in this one. Yes, like like he he you you know him from the end of the the last cutscene that plays in the Paris map when once you beat Paris he is in that cutscene. It's just that Hitman and Diana don't know or Agent Forty Seven Diana don't know that by the end of it they know that oh that guy exists. And that's the entire story of Hitman Season 1. Hitman Season 2 is more like, oh, Agent 47 has a past that he's forgotten. And this Lucas guy is like another from like the same camp that trained Agent 47 but escaped. And but Hitman, but Agent 47 thought he was dead. And there's the constant. And there's Janus and like the Ark Society. And yeah, like that, it's more convoluted. It's more involved. And I think it is also exacerbated by not having fully produced cutscenes and they just have gone for it's the exact same aesthetic but it's like just sort of like basically like screenshots of a full 3d animated cutscene and i wish that they if they were going to go that way they should have just done something like metal gear solid peace walker or something I was gonna say or or just normal metal gear solid where it's two oh. portraits and just voices yeah. like that would even be better but i agree the metal gear solid like comic book thing would yeah just have like just go like full stylized 2d thing and it, it will look a lot better and it, it's not necessarily again like i do not care if the story is bad i don't care if it doesn't make total sense i don't want it to like it's only what like i only care about getting into the level and and i think and i think that like the storytelling in the levels is better than it was in hitman season one yeah, i think I, like well because when you get the levels nothing feels lower budget you know it feels yeah, exactly. just as well produced if not much more so because they're so much bigger and more interconnected, but yeah. Yeah, because I think... Because I, I actually really love the... Because um, sort of the setup for that last level is that they're holding the funeral for Janus, who you killed in Whittleton Creek. And that's a dynamic I love. I love that you're there and, and all these people are like, what? so what happened to him? What's going on? It's like, and you're there the whole time being like, I fucking fucked that dude up. That's what happened. I went in... I poisoned and, his tea. I poisoned his tea. I blew him up. I went in... I've like... I've One of my favorite ones that you can do with Janus is you can loosen the valve on his like oxygen <laughs> tank 
and then then put a pack of cigarettes there that he smokes and he's like i'm old like whatever who gives a shit if i actually smoke and but then it's like well you should give a shit because as soon as you light that match boom motherfucker and i'm gone i'm i'm i've escaped on this little raft on a river i like when you pretend to be his doctor and yeah. and you just, just smother him while giving him a checkup that's yep. pretty good yeah so so that like those elements and like the little bits of story that are there i love there's there's also a really great detail in the last map um that you that if you do the um one where you where you hide in the the coffin as Janus's body uh, and you hear all the people coming up like talking to the corpse being like oh i wish i could have met you Janus you were such a great man forming the arc society and all this and one of them says it's like like your your assassination of Jasper Knight was legendary and Jasper Knight is the dude in the second tutorial mission that is like the fake mock up tutorial for hitman that's where i knew that name from okay yeah that he's the one you can kill with like the jet um like escape hatch thing and all of that like that that is a mock-up version of the assassination that janus who was a legendary cold war russian assassin and spy he did that and you're following like the framework of his assassination like those little details are all over the place in hitman 2 and that shit's really cool it is the cutscenes in between i agree that they feel very cheap and and confusing and kind of meandering and pointless and if they're going to do it you and, and you're not going to do the full like sexy looking 3d cg cutscenes. you should go for like a more stylized look yeah it's again it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter at all it is it's like one of the few games on earth where i could say that about where it's like the story and cutscenes are fucking gibberish but it doesn't matter but it yeah. really doesn't but i just think it's interesting to kind of like dive into there so yeah yeah speaking of of games with stories that's a terrible that's a terrible... This this game doesn't even really have a story. This oh, is, okay, it's a very good, bad yeah. segue there. Um, yeah. uh, Persona Dancing. <laughs> There's kind of a story there. No, I've been playing more. I am deep into Persona 3 Dancing Moon Knight, uh, which is called Dancing in Moonlight in the United States. I've just I've decided I'm going to try to like uh, you know com- fully complete that game before top 10 time, just so I feel like I have a good grasp. Because again, I played both of these games very thoroughly in Japanese. But I did not understand all the stuff in the commu events, and I wound up skipping through a lot of them. So I've been watching the commu events um, because the commu events—they're called socials in America—because um, they are very long and they mostly just play out as like cutscenes. You can have them just auto advance. Yeah. I was the other day doing the most ADD thing I've ever done, and I had those running while playing Smash Brothers on my Switch. Jesus. <laughs> It was fun. It worked. I mean, and, that makes it because it's like you'd only really need the audio. Yeah. There's a couple of like them that have like the visuals have a good like gag in them. But and I was watching. You know, I yeah. could look up and watch, and I, I did have to every once in a while just reach over and press X so I could select a, a dialogue option. Right, yeah. Some of which are very good. And then today, some I was, of the dialogue options are very funny. Yes, and today I was working on my computer and I was doing that. So I've, I'm about halfway through all the social events. Um, they are when you're not just skipping through them because they're not in your mother tongue. They are very very long. Um, yes, but yeah. it's good. Yeah, they're, some of them are very funny. Elizabeth, as you said, when we reviewed this in Japanese, is the star of the game. She's so funny. It's just every fucking comedy event she has is fucking hysterical. And when she shows up in other people's events, she's yes. great. Just as, as LP, it's great. I think, from what I can tell, they've done a very faithful job, you know, keeping just how goofy she is. It's the actress. Like, I'm surprised how much of the Persona 3 dub cast is still there. Right, because, yeah, considering that game came out in, like, 2006. Yeah, yeah. and it's... Other than the voices that needed to be recast because they were bad, like Ken and Fuka, they're all still there. Um, And new Ken is okay. He's very similar to old Ken. New Fuka, I have to say, is a great Fuka voice. Yeah, she. I didn't have much experience with her, but but she she was in the Persona Four Arena games, and, and she was good there. 
she's really good because her commu events are really fun and and interesting and entertaining. So I've enjoyed those. I enjoy uh, I enjoy Elizabeth's. I don't know if there's as many standout ones here for me. Like I, I like June Pays are pretty funny. Mitsuru's are okay. I think they get a little bogged down. But you know, anyway, they are fun to watch. Just kind of go through them. I still love the whole way how much you are rewarded for doing those in the main dancing game and how much the dancing game rewards you for going and doing the social link stuff. Like, it's a really good back and forth between those two systems. Obviously, the dances themselves are great. Again, we've kind of covered most of the gameplay stuff when we review these in Japanese, so I don't have a ton to add other than I did, uh, you know, I have played more of the the social link stuff, and they are very good. The dub is, again, outstanding, as it always is with the Persona games. And I'm really glad I'm I'm getting to play these and and fully understand everything they're saying, because there's some fun story stuff there. You know, it's light. It's not as much of a story story as Persona 4 had, where the characters kind of developed in some ways but at the same time like kind of what i want out of this is more of just the fan service let's hang out like there's the event maybe the funniest event i've seen so far is where you go to junpei's room and elizabeth is there and she starts talking about how she put the rooms together and starts embarrassing junpei and then she starts talking about how hard it was to recreate all the magazines under his bed right yeah fucking hilarious and you know vic mignona as as um as Junpei. Junpei is so great, and I forget the name of the woman who plays Elizabeth, but she's so funny. Uh, all the Igus ones are really good, too. Um, who, like, I, I feel like the actress who plays Igus now, like, maybe she's leaning more into the Nanako side of it just a little bit, or maybe it's just because the audio is cleaner these days. Right. But I can hear the Nanako in there a little more, which is funny, but it is still a great, obviously, performance of Igus. But yeah, they're, they're really fun and goofy, and man, the songs are fun to play. And they've put out a lot of free DLC for the English versions, more than there was for the Japanese versions so i've gotten to play some of the extra songs they added like shinjiro has a dance now oh, right, yeah. um, which is really good and so does a catchy from persona 5 which reminds me of the one that um the the killer not to spoil who it is had in uh right yes. in persona 4 uh it's not as hard as that one but it's it's very entertaining to see him just be evil and dancing so yeah i mean these games are great we've recommended them many times we will probably talk about them next week in some capacity Yes, so, I have not finished my top ten list, but probably, probably, yeah, probably, probably, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think these are great. I'm really excited. The one thing that sucks about them is that there's too much of it because there's two games, and I want right. to play both. But I'm I'm doing the Persona Three one right now, and then I'll get back to the Persona Five one. But every so often, I see my brother playing the Persona Five one, and I'm like, oh, I want to play that in, put that in, and do the Morgana dance. My other favorite jokes, I have to say, in the social events is when. Uh, Elizabeth will just start talking about characters from the other games uh-huh. and she sounds like a fucking lunatic and she's not actually saying anything crazy she's just describing the other games and it's like they have a cat and a fox and a crow and that one is it's just a great joke yeah so yes. these are very rewarding if you are fans of the Persona series I don't know why you would play them if you weren't fans but hey maybe you, you pick up Persona 3 Dancing Moon Night you're like this is really good music and then you go play Persona 3 it would be an interesting order, but, you know. I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, to each their own. I mean, I think you would be able to, like, I, I would not recommend picking up these games if you have never no experience with Persona. But if, like, you're roommates with someone that has them, you'll probably like the music. And, yeah. And you could enjoy playing the game without the context. Yes. It's, uh, it's very good. Any other video games we want to talk about, Sean? I don't think so. It's just been a lot of Hitman. I will, I will say, so I, I started playing some of the Hitman 1 content now in Hitman 2, and that is very cool. Nice. And it is really fun to be able to go in and just, like, 
blade like i because i'm almost level 20 mastery with paris and i only put like two hours yesterday but it was just like oh my god i can just fucking destroy this map so quickly i'm excited to try that it also makes me excited because i could conceivably not forever but for now delete hitman one from my ps4 Mm -hmm. because it's taking up a lot of space yes yeah because it got big over the years hitman 2 has gotten very big and i could just save some space because i did i tried to install some of the spider-man uh updates yesterday so i could use the sam raimi suit which I should say is really cool. Uh, have you played yes, with it yet? I have not played it yet. I downloaded yeah. the... Because the last piece of DLC also came out. So I downloaded that and I just haven't started playing yeah, it. Yeah, I was showing it to Thomas because I was trying to convince him, like, play Spider-Man for fuck's sake. Every time I recommend a game, you play it and you love it and you get obsessed with it. Yeah, but he, like, waits, like, two years. Yes. So anyway, I think he is actually trying going to start playing Spider-Man. But because I showed him it and I'm like, look how cool this Sam Raimi costume is. It's it's molded so perfectly. It's even got, like, the abs from the Yeah, Sam Raimi and it's movies. got, like, the raised webbing texture. Yep. Yeah, because I watched the video. It looks neat. But anyway. One, one yeah. thing before I move on. I just remembered about Hitman that I want to say. For other people that are listening to this podcast playing Hitman 2, there's a feature in the game that I had been wishing that Hitman had forever that I did not realize was in the game. That also I later found out they added into the Game of the Year version of Hitman 1, which is you can change the default loadout of weapons on specific maps. So instead of having to go in and every single time you play a map, just go... This is good, yeah. Go, oh, because they always start you with coin normal coins and fiber wire and for me like i haven't unlocked the shuriken yet in hitman 2 but when i do the default loadout on almost every map other than bangkok where you don't need the lock pick is lock pick and shuriken because if you don't know in hitman the shuriken is just a coin you can still kill someone with and it's it's the words to live by um and so i play i want that on a card a shuriken is just a coin you can kill people with yeah because you can throw them on the ground and it's the same kind of distraction as a coin anyways um, but I played all of Hitman 1 every single time I loaded into a map, I would go in and change all that shit to, and like, you know, sometimes I'd bring in a poison vial or whatever, but usually I just wanted the lockpick and I just wanted the shuriken. For Hitman 2, every single one, it was lockpick and the like outstanding distinction coins or whatever you get from playing Hitman 1 when you load up Hitman 2. Um, and I found out that if you are on the so the you know the the like level preparation screen has those like three boxes on the left. The top one is objectives. The middle one is loadout, and the bottom one is like your difficulty and, and selected to go. Um, and if you are hovered over the middle one, that is the loadout selection one. If you press square, it will change the default loadout. And there's a little tooltip at the bottom of the screen that tells you that. But because you're you ne- are never ever selected on that box. You just never see it. The game never draws attention to it. And I just randomly noticed it about like a week ago when I was playing. Because I think it was when I was still playing on the the neighborhood, the Whittleton Creek map. And I noticed I'm like, oh my god, how long has this been here for? And I started trying to find videos of Hitman 1 on YouTube. Because I loaded, I loaded up Hitman 1 and saw it was in the Game of the Year version. I was like, this is a, there's no fucking way that this was in here the whole time. And I actually ended up going back and watching some of our Hitman 1 Let's Plays. Because that was pre-Game of the Year version. Yes. And it wasn't in that version. So I only feel like a little bit of an idiot. Because if that had been Hitman the entire time, I would have felt like a massive moron. With the amount of time I played that game to have never noticed. But, so it is very hard to notice. They should make it more clear or put up a message that says you can do this. But you can do it. So I'm putting that message that's out so to the That's so good. World. Good God. Yes. that's be, That should be in big bright letters when you launch the game. Yes. That is such a useful feature. It's so tremendously useful. People should just like, if you haven't done it yet, go into all those maps and change that shit and be like, okay, now I always yes. go in with the lockpick and I never have to pick the lockpick again. All right. 
Well, Sean, are you ready for my uh, fun Christmas surprise we're going to do? Yes, I have been waiting with, with bated breath for like a week plus I feel like at this point to find out what the fuck are we doing. What is this podcast, Jonathan? I did it. I found the worst Christmas album. Okay. Oh. Ever. Ever. Oh. I found the worst one. Uh-huh. And we're going to listen to a little bit of it. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to do a live reaction. We're going to do a little Weekly Stuff Reacts. Um, okay. So here, let me tell you the story, Sean. A few weeks ago, this yeah. is actually, I say a few weeks. This was like two months ago and I've been saving it for this episode. When I, two months ago, I've saved it. I'm like, we're going to use this one day. I don't know when. And then I realized we were going to have a Christmas Eve podcast. And I'm like, bread and butter, baby. This is perfect. And what it is, is one day I was on Apple Music. You can also do this on Spotify. It's on all these services. And I was searching for some Pokemon music because I was trying to find the original theme song. You know, I want to be the very best. I wanted to see if that was on. Yeah, I want to see if that was on Apple Music. I don't know if it was because the first thing that came up is an album called Pokemon Christmas Bash. Did you know this was a thing, Sean? Fucking no. No. This came out in like 2000, like around the time Pokemon was born. Oh, so it's from our generation of Pokemon. It is contemporary with I Want to Be the Very Best. Yes. This is from the original dub. Like, if you look on the cover, like, the newest Pokemon on it is Totodile. So it's like, it was from the Johto era. So, like, you know, Pokemon 3 might have been out in theaters. So, like, 2000, 2001, I don't know the exact date. It's got the entire original dub cast. So, you know, Brock, Ash, Misty, Professor Oak. And they did a bunch of Christmas songs. And I don't just mean they, like, did Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I mean they wrote new Christmas songs and had the Pokemon cast perform them. And they are the worst fucking, but also most amazing songs. And I need the people to know about this. Jesus Christ. Because, like, one, like, piece of context here is I would not necessarily be surprised if something like this existed with the Japanese cast of Pokemon because it's relatively common with how, like interlock the like music industry and the seiyu or voice actor industry is in japan it's very common for shows to have original music that like that are like the opening and ending themes are performed by the cast and stuff like that and then create like character songs basically of like an album of the different actors singing different songs written for them or doing covers sometimes this is like that but bad but with an english dub cast from the year 2000 s yeah yeah for pokemon Okay, so Sean, here's how we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to go old school a little bit with this. I'm going to just pump the music through my speakers, and that'll go into the mic. It's going to be tinny. But again, this is on... They put this on all the streaming services, Sean. This is on Spotify. This is on Apple Music. You can get this if you want for free anywhere. So you can go listen to it, but you're going to hear it here. We will just live react, and you can tell me stop if you want to just stop and comment on it. Because we have some songs that we're going to listen to, Sean. Because these are amazing. How, Jonathan, how is this year on the podcast one of like the recurring trends? It's not Digimon or something. For this year, the podcast, it was strange novelty albums from old entertainment properties I, that nobody knows about that we discovered randomly and talked about on the podcast. Because we had rock reflections of a superhero right before you went for Iowa, and now we have this Pokemon album. What the fuck's going on? I don't know. It's very weird, because also both of those existed for years. Yes. I mean, yeah, mine we existed for like four decades. Yes. And and this is the direct qualitative inverse of yours. I just want yeah, you to know. Because, yeah, again, Rock Flash is a superhero. It's very good. All right. So I'm sure this, no, I'm sure this is going to be great. So, Sean, we are starting with track number one, which is called Pokemon Christmas Bash. Also the title of the album. Great. If I can get it to play. Sweet, 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 sweet. 
So Ikwe Otani is on this album as Pikachu. Yes. We got a little bit of Pika Pika. That's good to know. Yep. They've got her sampled in there. Yeah. So I think that's the Pokedex rapping. Yes, that I'm pretty sure you're right. That's the Pokedex, the actor in character as the Pokedex rapping. That's that's a feature that we didn't have um, in Red and Blue. The, no, the Pokedex did not rap for us. Yeah. This is about to get really good. I'm just going to warn y'all. The Pokedex is not the only one who raps. Brock's kicking it and it's a gas. I can't believe this exists. Oh my god. I mean, he, he, they did the thing that you are legally required to do if you write a rap song sung by someone named Brock. She <laughs> say, I'm Brock and I'm back on the block. It's the only way you can start a rap by Brock. It's, it's, you, if you're not, like, you are taken out and shot by the rap gods. Yes. Oh my god. Okay, we're just getting started here. Who is that Pokemon? And importantly, an important thing to note is they keep on asking who's that Pokemon. There have been no Pokemon featured in this rap so far. We've gotten exactly one person, which is Brock, and the other person was the Pokedex. So Yes. I don't know if Pokemon Pikachu has a rap. I'll be honest, I have not listened to the full versions of most of these songs. Okay, well obviously we'll discover something together then. Yes. This is not a bad hook, I have to say. I it's mean, okay. you, you're just pulling it from the Pokemon rap. Yeah, so it is. That, like, that's a quality song. That didn't rhyme. Was Misty in love with Ash? No, but on this album she is. It is the weirdest thing about this very weird album is that if you listen to it, Ash and Misty are... Well, it's not just... They are very into each other, which they never were on the show. Yeah, there was like some vague sexual tension, but the vague sexual tension of a cartoon for eight-year-olds. Yes. Also, Misty never even really liked Ash was like the plot. But no, she wants to fuck the shit out of Ash in this one. I'll skip ahead. Okay, Ash is about to rap, guys. I want Ash. Give okay. me Ash. Okay.
That didn't rhyme. No, none just, of that rhymed. I mean, it was a near rhyme with last and bash, but no. 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 If it's bash, you can write ram a million words with bash. Come on, you don't need to reach for that one. What? Yeah, I should have known the Team Rocket rap would actually be g- kind of okay. Particularly Jesse and James, they fucking yeah, they can do it. James actually has a pretty sexy voice there. Yeah, James, James does it. Like Jesse, I think was that. I think Jesse was the most successful blending of I'm both singing and I'm in character. The other ones, it was very tenuous. Oh yeah, yeah, because none of these people, I don't know if they can sing in real life, but they can't yeah. sing in those voices. All right, let's see what else we got. Okay, that's it. Just the hook yeah. for the rest of the song. Okay. I think love how very obviously clear it is when they say that Ash is like, and I'm and Pikachu's here too. And it's just Pika, and it's like oh, that's just a voice sample from the show. You did like fucking Ikue Otani did not. They didn't get her in the studio in Japan and like send over voice samples or this rap. No, that would have cost money. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so we're one song in. Yes, yeah. I've been desperately trying to find uh, the lyrics to these on the internet, and it is basically incomprehensible. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give up on that approach, and I'll just go in with my ears. All right, so Sean, we now have the second song, I'm Giving Santa a Pikachu This Christmas, but Wait, what? in the version they submitted to Apple Music, it says, I'm Giving Santa a Pikachu. They misspelled several words on the track list on this album, at least on the streaming version. You'll also notice they spelled karaoke wrong at the bottom here. Yeah, they they tried to do it more phonetically in English, I guess. Yes, uh, but yes. So let's listen to "I'm Giving Santa yeah. a Pikachu." So before we go into the song, like one thing I'm very curious about, you know, just like before something to listen for. Do they not know what Santa Claus is? Because you don't give Santa Claus things. Santa Claus gives you things. You it's can give dra- Santa Claus like cookies, maybe. But it's addressed then- in the song. Okay, okay. Because that's what I want. That's yeah. That's just my thinking going in. Yeah. So this is, uh, I should say, a Professor Oak song. Oh, good. And it is weird as shit. So let's listen to it. Every Christmas, old Santa brings presents for me. He leaves plenty of packages under the tree. Then why did that this sound like double entendre? But was it? A surprise for Saint Nick, and it's something that's going to give him a kick. Yeah, this sounds weirdly sexual. Yeah, like especially with you, it like. Come on, you really wanted to lie, rhyme that kick with dick. Like, that's like, <laughs> it's going to give him a kick. And, you know, when he comes down that chimney, I'm going to have him suck my dick. Like, whatever, you know, there's so many lines you could go with that. But this Professor Oak has it for fucking Santa. Uh, it's the way he's, he is singing with a sultry voice. Yeah. What is it, Professor? I'm giving Santa a Pikachu this Christmas. Okay, so Professor Oak wants to kill Santa Claus is what I'm getting out of this. Or Pikachu, just me. So this is another thing. Just the Pikachu's penis. Just go. <laughs> he's going to find my Pikachu in my shot in my stocking, and he's going to find it rather shocking. Just that's this is my. I I have no idea that that is going to work for the rest of the song. That's just my prediction. Pikachu is a phallic object. Uh, yes. Yes. 
to Santa's quite a novelty. Okay. I'm giving Santa a Pikachu this Christmas. I bet he'll scratch his beard and say, No Christmas Eve's will be a breeze as long as I have one of these on foggy flights through winter nights to light my way. Again, Pikachu's a penis here. Yes. Yeah, I mean, as long know, as I have one of these. Yes. Yeah. It's a small furry with, like, big red cheeks. <laughs> it's the shock will twirl a million candy canes. And power up a slew of new electric trains. I'm giving Santa a Pikachu this Christmas. Cause Santa's got a lot of work to do. Again, yeah, no, it's yeah. yeah. Although, if you're also if you're just taking the song very literally, there's he's saying I'm gonna give Santa a Pikachu so that he can use the Pikachu to like power shit, which is like that. I, I know the like relationship between like Pokemon and like slavery and cockfighting is all like funny to point out, but usually there's like oh we're friends and we're going on this big adventure. This is just I'm gonna sell this Pikachu to you and you're gonna like use him to like power shit, which is like the plot that a villain would have in a fucking episode of the Pokemon show. So yeah. B- Professor Oak, whether you're just saying taking it sexually or not, they kind of fucked up. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. With Pikachu, his sleigh will fly so fast. About a thousand times as fast as Christmas past. I'm giving Santa a Pikachu this Christmas. It'll be the best friend Santa ever had. Be the only friend Santa. Santa doesn't have friends, Ash. Yeah. Come on. Sean, how long do you think they spent writing these songs? <laughs> Like they, they went out for like brunch at a Denny's and wrote it on the goddamn napkin. Like, come on. Okay, that got too real for me, Sean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is Pikachu consenting to this? You know, do do Pokemon have the capacity to consent? I think that's a legal discussion to have in the Pokemon universe. That wasn't a rhyme. What no. the hell was that? Yeah, half of the shit didn't. It doesn't rhyme. All right, I think we're done with this song. Yeah, it's disturbing. You know, Professor Oak should not be giving out Pokemon to young children. All right, I think so we can all think about that. Two songs in, Sean. I'm gonna set the scene. Imagine you were a parent in like 2003, and remember, parents in like that time wouldn't have been people who played games themselves when they were young. Yeah, I had parents in 2003. Yeah, yeah. yeah same here. And you bought this for, like, your kids for Christmas, thinking that, you know, it might be okay. And then you had to listen to them listen to this. Oh. Good God, that would be hell. They, the people who wrote this hate parents. Yeah, especially if you were expecting to get songs of the caliber of I Want to Be the Very Best. Yes. Which these are, so far, have not hit that lofty bar. All right. The next two of these, we're not going to do the full thing. We're building up to the big one here. Um, but I'm going to play you a little bit of Misty's song, Winter okay. is the Coolest Time of Year. That is just accurate. This is like the girl doo-wop number. Oh. Buzz 
this isn't a, that's not a song. I don't even know what, what are those lyrics. There's no sense of real rhythm there. They're not trying to rhyme. It's just, they're just saying things. There's, there's rhymes, but they're like the first line of the rhyming dictionary rhymes. It's yeah. like, slopes, hopes. There you go. I'm going to skip later into the song to see if anything funny happens. Oh. That's Ash shows up. Ash shows up. Okay, we're going to start from like a minute and a half in. I'm gonna give you a Pikachu. Okay, so they're doing something to Brock. Brock didn't consent to that. But anyway, how many puns did they fit into those like 10 seconds? Yeah, that but, was bad. Butter freeze. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just, you know, yeah. Good stuff. Butter okay. freeze. Okay, so we can tell this album's awful. Oh, yeah. Let's move on. Now, Sean, there's a song next called Nobody Don't Like Christmas. Initially, I thought, well, we know the title tracks here have a lot of like, obviously typos here. So maybe that's a typo. What character in the Pokemon universe would sing Nobody Don't Like Christmas? What... Why would you give a solo to Meowth? Hmm. Nobody don't like Christmas. It's the happy day that everybody loves. It's the snowflakes drifting down as the folks all over town are trimming trees and knitting gloves. <laughs> what was gloves arrived with? I just. One, I just realized how much Meowth is clearly Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, they're like third-rate, you know, Gilbert Gottfried, but that's what they're trying to do. By the way, Sean, this is the second longest song on the album. Oh, God. Yeah, it also just like, you know, it's been a, it's been a very long time since I watched the Pokemon show. But my, as with like Misty and Ash not being a couple, my recollection of Meowth would be that he would be the Grinch of the group that'd be like, Yeah, fuck Christmas. I agree. Who needs Christmas? Also, I mean, the elephant in the room is Christmas is not a thing in Pokemon because it's a Japanese show and there is no point where there's a Christmas Pokemon episode. There are winter episodes, but nobody celebrates Yeah, and there's no KFC in the Pokemon world, so none of that. There's Kentucky... uh, There's KFF, Kentucky Fried Farfetch'd. Exactly. Yeah. But other than that... Comes with its own seasonings. (laughs) That's not even my joke. That's the... Pokemon makes that joke for you. Let's listen to a little more of Meowth's song. What? Where are you going with this, Meowth? <laughs> okay, yeah, let's get more of the line. Buddy Easter eggs, the Easter bunny spring. When the chocolate hits their lips, it goes directly to their hips. And they pack on ten pounds every spring. What? So, okay, let me try to follow Meowth's logic. Yeah. People don't like Easter because you get fat from the candy. Why didn't that go to Halloween? Yeah, why, why did I go to Halloween and also, like, people eat a lot of sweets during Christmas also, you stupid cat. I'm actually fascinated in this song. Let's yeah, go. he's making, like, an argument about people liking Christmas, which is more than I thought this song was going to go to. It's not much of an argument. Some people don't like New Year's. 
okay, here's the thing. That rhyme could have gone very differently. They could have all been home dead yeah. because New Year's is famously a time of high suicides. I thought that's where he was going with that, and I was terrified for a second that Meowth was going to be singing about people killing themselves on New Year's. Also, what's this order? Easter and then, New- like, New Year's, then Easter. New Year's is fucking at least follow the calendar. What? Why? What is this? The piano's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, they've hired a musician to play the music. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't... These rhymes, man, they're all throwing me for a loop. Yeah, and I just feel like he's not putting up much of an argument for why Christmas is better than these other holidays he's dissing. No, I... Honestly, I would love to ask the people who wrote this album if they could tell us where Christmas comes from. Yeah. Because it does not sound like... I don't think anyone's going to be singing here about the birth of Christ. (laughs) Nobody don't like Christmas because that's when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Yeah, they're not going to get into that. Wait, 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 pause it. They don't have the 4th of July in fucking Pokemon World. Like, like they do, they really don't. Like, they don't have Christmas. They really don't have the fucking independence of America. Yes, I can understand. Christmas is at least like you could do a, a generic winter solstice holiday. All cultures have something like that. Yes. Or like a celebration of it. Yeah, and New Year's but, is yeah. something that transcends American culture. But you don't have 4th of July in Pokemon World as much as you don't have like fucking Cinco de Mayo or something. Yes. You know? I gotta hear what other holidays he's gonna do. Yeah. Oh god. How did this make it out the door, Sean? Yeah. Oh my god. But Little flare. This is not Meowth. This is very weird. This is not the Meowth I know. Yeah, because he's supposed to be part of the evil team that goes and steals Pikachu every episode and then gets blasted away. They're still having him do the James Cagney impression, but not being evil like James Cagney. Exactly. Yeah, it's... Okay, it's very weird. All right. I think this song is probably... Okay, one, he insulted the Irish. Yeah. That's pretty bad. But then Yom Kippur, what did Yom Kippur do to you, you racist piece of shit? Yeah, this got very uncomfortable once it went to like culturally specific, culturally specific holidays. Okay, I just gotta hear if Meowth has anything to say on Kwanzaa, so yeah. let's finish this. Okay, we're done with that. Yeah. They ran out of lyrics. They just had him sing the main line over and over again. It had increased. Like, 
Did the voice actors just have to go get their fucking vocal cords scraped after this? Like, what the hell? Yeah, that song that song went places I wasn't expecting from something called Nobody Don't Like Christmas. Uh, apologies to all the Irish and everyone who celebrates Yom Kippur. Uh, sorry about yeah. that. It's just, just, you know, it's this weird, you know, thinking about Christianity and the relationship to Christmas and, like, you know, the dominant culture. It's just, just it, it's a lot of food for thought, I think, that you can go into analyzing uh, nobody don't like Christmas. The most academically fascinating song we've listened to so far. But we haven't hit the best one yet, Sean. Oh, good. This song is called I Keep My Home in My Heart. Okay. And it's and I have to be honest, it's the reason we're doing this. <laughs> so, let's go. Alright. I'm already into this. Yeah, listen to that bass line. It's mm. good. But he's too man to admit it. It's just cold out here, and I'm, and I'm. I'm thinking about Christmas back home. <laughs> In Pewter City, the lights are pretty. And even though I love to roam, on Christmas Eve, I make believe I'm home. I close my eyes and I see. This song fucking rules, Jonathan. <laughs> what the fuck? One, this has nothing to do with Pokemon at all. The you know, like it's just Brock is singing it. And he it, says Pewter City. That's he it. He says Pewter City, but that could be like this. Really feels like whoever wrote these songs, like wrote this song when they're like sixteen, or at least the lyrics are like this. This fucking this baseline rocks. This is great. And it's like, there's something very real about this, like, oh, I'm away from home, and it's Christmas, and I miss my home. Like, that's a good setup and, like, emotion to try to convey through a, a Christmas, like, kind of rock song. The main problem is, what fucking family and friends do does Brock have in Pewter City? Like, we, the, the only people he knows, as far as we know, is fucking Ash and Misty and all the women that he sexually harasses along the way. Like... <laughs> That's Brock's entire life. There's no sense that he's... Like, I don't even know how... Is he fucking 18? Is he 30? I don't know. All I know is he's a fucking pervert and he should be in jail. <laughs> and that's it. Like, what, what... And he also never opens his eyes. Yes. You know, it's... He's because he always has them closed because he's always, like, picturing naked women. Because he's just fucking that bad. <laughs> he, has ta- he has them tattooed on the inside of his eyes. Exactly, yeah. It's bad... Let's see, I want to hear some more of this fucking slapping tune, Jonathan. I know how you feel, Brock. You do? Sure. I love it here, but I miss Cerulean City a little too. At least Misty has sisters. That's yeah. candy. There we go. She doesn't slap as much as Brock does.
So here's the thing. Misty can actually kind of sing. Yeah, but like not for this kind of music. No. Like this is this is a Brock ass fucking Brock song. It is. So let's skip the fucking the, the, the duet. chorus. Yeah. What? <laughs> when you're out on your own, you're always alone. Great fucking line. He's you know shit if you're out on your own, you're alone. That's what that that's, that's what both those words mean. But he's also singing it next to Misty, the, the person he travels with every yeah, day. Yeah, they've been traveling for like fucking five years or something and haven't gotten any older somehow. Key change. We're getting a key yeah, change. Yeah, but also, did they just say the line, if you have a hole in your heart from the start, you can go anywhere? Home in your heart. Home. Oh, I thought they said a hole. I'm like, that is such a bleak, dark, cynical <laughs> view on life that if you're already empty inside, you have nothing holding you back. I don't think they put that much thought into it, Sean. That might just be me. Okay? I'm, I think I'm bringing something to this this Pokemon song. It's really, it's really hitting me. I'm gonna skip the verse. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's the rest of the song. Is the yeah. verse? It does um, really feel like they sort of all of these songs they like, give up about halfway through. Like oh, yeah. we, we're supposed to write like another verse that changes things up, but we'll just do the chorus three more times. I was very disappointed the key change didn't do anything crazy. Yeah, yet. I was hoping Ash would come in because because Ash is the person you give the song to because he's the one whose family we see. He has a mom and he has a foster dad in Mr. Mime and he's never home. And it's he's always going out on these fucking adventures. And that's something that, like, I couldn't see the emotional reality to that. Why do you give this song to fucking Brock other than Brock is the only character that can carry this fucking rockin' ass tune? Yeah, okay, so we're going to skip the next one, which is a version of the Christmas song. We'll skip that one because I don't need to hear them just sing a normal Christmas yeah. tune. I want to hear Ash and Misty's highly sexualized duet under the mistletoe. Great. First off, I love the horn. Yeah. That's a great touch. You know, I did genuinely appreciate the horn. So far, if this wasn't on the Pokemon album, I'd be like, this could be okay. Yeah, this could be on Rock Reflections of a Superhero for all I know. <laughs> okay, there's a feeling I'm getting I just can't explain making me glad tonight. Yeah. What is Ash singing about? I also just have to say, like, my condolences to the grown woman that has to try to sing this song as an eight-year-old boy. Like... I, it does, I don't like how it sounds, but I don't think it's her fault. Oh, it couldn't sound better. Yeah, that's true. Especially it with... sounds like Ash singing. I'll give her that much. It does. Alright, so, so, so far we have Ash getting hard under the mistletoe. I don't want to think about horny Ash. God damn it. <laughs> Oh, 
All right, Misty, who never really showed any interest in love or boys or anything, yeah, now is waiting for her true love. Like, she she said she has a key keeping a secret deep in her heart. It's really deep down because I, again, it's been a long time, but I watched a lot of that fucking Pokemon show when I was a kid, and that never came up. Misty is like very tomboyish and yeah. doesn't, you know, they're all like prepubescent. I don't think she's into this yet. But alright, let's listen to what happens yeah, next. Let's see where this goes. Alright, Ash is hard and Misty wants her true love. Why is your instinct? I'm writing a Pokemon Christmas album. It's for kids because it's Pokemon. Our characters are kids because it's Pokemon. We're going to take our two clear, like, prepubescent leads, Ash and Misty, and we're going to do a song about mistletoe. What? Where does that come from, Sean? Also, think about that line that just said. They said, Old St. Nicholas, there's something I want you to know. I hope I can meet someone under the mistletoe. Why? Fucking Santa Claus doesn't want to know this. Why are you telling this old St. Nick? He doesn't, like, he doesn't, this is not his business. And, and it's very risky because you might get put on the naughty list. It is, yeah, yeah. He brings toys, he doesn't bring that kind of toy. Exactly. also just very heteronormative we gotta say it's like, true why yeah. can't misty be gay ash could be gay we don't know they're kids they, they don't know yet yeah, i mean for a second i thought that's where they were going when ash just started seeing the line to saint nick i thought i was going to end with him being like oh he just wants to make out with santa claus and everyone's been there wait 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 stop but maybe I'll just stand here and nobody will know that I'm under the mistletoe. Like, what? what is he trying... Is he, like, trying to lay some sort of mistletoe trap for someone? I, <laughs> like, I think he nobody's, got it. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to notice. And then once someone comes over to talk to me, I'm like, gotcha, motherfuckers. Mistletoe. Now I'm going to Brock you. I think he got the advice from Brock. I think this is a trick that Brock taught him because Brock is a very this bad why you sh- This is why 10-year-old boys shouldn't hang out with 30-year-old men that never open their eyes. Okay, this is all very weird. Here's another question I have. Where's this party that they're having for Poke... Like, and why aren't they home for it? Like, why wouldn't this be back in, like, Ash's hometown? Yeah, Palatown. Yeah. yeah. Where are they having a Christmas party? And why is Nurse Joy there? And why... I don't get this. This, this. The canon of this makes no sense to it's, me. It's very confusing. And it's, like, the whole character dynamic they're setting up here. Like, oh, Ash and Misty both like each other and want to be together. But they... Either they don't know it or they're not expressing it. It feels like it's like a weird fanfic song. That it, someone is like, this is my slash, it's, it's Ash Misty, which is like not very creative, not interesting. But whatever, that's where you are. Well, now I want the fucking song about Mr. Mime and Ash's just, mom. Yeah, that's your shit. Well, that's not, that's, that's canonical. That's just real. I know, but I still want the song about it. Oh. Yeah. 
Is that that's not on here? That's not a segue. It's, it's okay. not, sadly. Sadly. Oh, I no. thought you were segueing to something I didn't want to hear about. <laughs> I mean, I haven't listened to the night before Christmas one. I think it's just them reading the story. But that'd be pretty great if it was Ash's mom singing about what she did with Mr. Mime the night before Christmas. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. All right, let's skip the ver- the chorus. Little little break there. In the, yeah, yeah, that was weird. All right. Well, that's a cop out. Yeah. Boo. 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 All right. There's a song called Must Be Santa. I don't really want to listen to it. There's an Night for Christmas one, and it ends with a Christmas medley. I don't know what that's a medley of, so we're going to listen to it. Okay. I do also want to point out, when I was visualizing, think about also with that mistletoe song. The entire time, Ash was under that mistletoe with Pikachu. Yeah. And that's, you know, maybe that's what that song is really about, is that Ash can't see the true love right in front of him the whole time. All right, great that's start. The, that's, great start. That's the best part of the entire album. That was great. So Ash is in there. Okay, that's bad. Yeah, I was hoping from that start that the whole thing would be Team Rocket, and then Ash and Misty are in that medley. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, so that's, okay, so the guy who voices... That was a lot, that was a lot. That was a lot. The guy who voices Brock, Eric Stewart, he was also uh, Kaiba in Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't know where he is in the world now. You know, I don't hear him much. This exists, this is out there. Do you think he thinks about it? Do you think, like, he, like, stays up at night and, like, his significant other has to, like, talk him back into, like, you're a good person, you're okay, you don't have to think about that every day, people aren't listening to it and making fun of it on a podcast? Oh, God. Poor guy. Yeah. Because that's bad. That is bad. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God, that's bad. Okay, we're skipping ahead. King was falling down on his trainer, Steven. Steven. What? What is this one? Is Steven dead? I don't know. Because Ditto Kings are fucking big. Yeah, and also they have horns. Yeah. One and then they lost, so the match was even. Nido King returned, he said, I can win this duel. So we crawled for Okay, they're not even fucking trying. They're just taking Good King Wenchus' loss. They're not even matching the fucking syllables of the song. 
this is oh my god this is I mean, this somehow yeah, got worse at the it's end it's just all they're doing and this is true of the first part of the medley that we listened to was they're just finding what are Pokemon names that we can throw in here even if it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't matter there's nothing special about Nidoking that makes him fall fall on Steven poor Steven poor Steven okay poor dead Steven oh boy alright what else is there Okay. Don't give Brock songs. Uh, so they took Joy to the World, which is a religious hymnal about the birth of Christ, and replaced it with lyrics about how horny Brock is for these girls he harasses. What the fuck? Yeah. It's... Like, I'm not trying to be like, it's sacrilegious, I'm offended. But I think a part of me kind of is offended, weirdly. Like a very deep down part that I've worked to suppress over my life. But, I, you know, it's there. Yeah. I mean, we should all be offended by Brock 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Rock it, Ash! Here we go, a battling Team Rocket once again. Okay, this is awful. What else have they got? I kind of like this one. I like that line a lot. Caterpie is very hard because you must be a metapod. Yeah. Okay, what else we got? On the twelfth day of Christmas, a trainer sent to me. Twelve bumpers soaring, eleven labyrinths leaping, ten tentacrooling, nine tails are wagging, eight muck-a-mucking, seven squirrels squirting, six digging, five Okay. Okay, that's pretty good. Five goldine. There you go. That's that's the reason why they did this. Is they're like five gold rings, five goldine, done, done. And also, and we don't need to try on any of the other ones. You can just say a Pokemon name in there. Five goldine, perfect. In the sexy James voice. Yes. Four Charizard, three Ekans, two Electabuzz, and a Farfetch with great agility. <laughs> No, no, a far-fetched... I thought they were going to do a far-fetched, far-fetched with, like, gravy, is what the yeah. lyric was going to be. Far-fetched with great agility is maybe one of the worst lines ever composed to any song. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's, that's profoundly bad. That's, that's worse than the standard of this album, which is phenomenally low. Okay, let's listen to the last 30 seconds of the album, Sean. Okay. No! No! You can't just... You can't just do that! That's not how it works! You can't just replace a word with a Pokemon name. Like, you can only do that with gold rings and goldine because it's so perfect. Other than, like, no! We wish you a Meryl Christmas. That doesn't even make sense! That's like what Meryl Streep would put on her Christmas card. And there would make more sense. It's just... (laughs) Like, Meryl's such a whatever poke. Who gives a shit about Meryl? Meryl's not a Pikachu or fucking Squirtle or, like, an important Pokemon that you can just throw in there. All right, let's power through this, Sean. Christmas, we wish you a Meryl Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. And a happy new year. 
Wait, what did they say? And a Hoppit New Year. Hoppit is the weird grass Pokemon from Gold and Silver. That's a little pink ball with a green stem on its head. Fucking shit, dude. Okay, Come this... on. All right, I think we're done. I'm closing iTunes. We're done with Pokemon Christmas Bash. Which means the world is done with Pokemon Christmas Bash. Yeah, okay. Yeah, do you think anyone else has streamed that album in the last five years? No. No. God, no. Okay. God, Did, no. So I was pretty into Pokemon at the time this came out. Suffice it to say. Yeah. I, again, I saw all of the first five Pokemon movies theatrically. And they didn't do any more theatrically past that because no one was seeing them. Yeah, yeah. you didn't st- stop seeing the Pokemon movies theatrically because you didn't want to. You stopped because they didn't want to. Yeah. Uh... And I didn't know this existed. I did not know this existed when I was a kid. Who actually got this as a kid? Did you listen to it? Did you like it? I mean, even as a kid, I feel like I would look at that and be like, this is kind of pandering. Fuck off with this. Yeah, and, and it's it's particularly frustrating because, and I understand all the reasons why this would be on here, but the one thing you'd want, or I would want, on the Pokemon Christmas album is a like Christmas, cr- classic Christmas tune Sung entirely by Pikachu, just saying Pikachu. Yes. Which you can't do because they don't like the voice actress that plays Pikachu is Igwe Otani in Japan. And they just used her voice samples that she uses for the Japanese dub. And she's got a stuff. and she's got a contract and is, you know, part of a system in Japan where she just she just doesn't do yeah. shit like this. And it's, yeah, and it's like I you know, I don't want to be rude, but she is above this <laughs> sort of thing. You're not or, being rude. The character <laughs> songs that Igwe Otani is part of are of a higher caliber than this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, that was Man, that was bad. Fucking Jesus Christ. What did you do, Jonathan? How did you... Why? Just what? I, was this a good Where? Christmas surprise, Sean? <laughs> it was a surprise? Yeah. Like, I, when I was trying to think of what would be the things we could do, reviewing a Pokemon Christmas album, if you had given me... If this was like Heaven Sent, and I had... And you trapped me in... <laughs> A confession dial, and I had to either figure out what we were going to do on this podcast or spend a billion years punching my way through a wall made out of diamond. I would have had to punch my way through a wall made out of diamond because this would have never come up. All right. Well, the Spider-Man issue I got you is half just a Christmas gift from a friend, half an apology for what I just put you through. Apology accepted. Thank you. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Hope you have a good break. We'll be back next week with our top ten games of the year and the last episode of the season. We'll see you then. Is, is ear wash a thing? I think I need ear wash. <laughs>